and welcome to the Fit Professional One podcast. I'm just thrilled that you're joining me today. I truly appreciate it. This is my effort to convey my practices and principles for your very best life. I am absolutely focused on maximizing your margin, optimizing your teams, and rescuing your time. Through each episode, I will explore concepts and principles to help you exactly deliver your best life. I'm thrilled with some of the initial guests that I have coming in. We'll be talking to some Marines about fellowship. We'll be talking to a world-class cyclist regarding the concept of toughness and mental toughness and so much more. Later, we'll be doing a deep dive into the Apollo 13 archives to see what kind of management principles we can pull up for catastrophic response when you indeed run into issues in your life and your business that need that kind of work. So I appreciate any help you can do relative to spreading the word for this podcast, giving me some thumbs up out there on YouTube and other channels so that we can continue to bring you all these messages and useful knowledge, skills, and disciplines that you can apply. And that is my commitment to you. I have the objective of working to give you actionable ideas that you can immediately implement in terms of what you're trying to accomplish. I believe that as a human being, we are linked in mind, in body, and in spirit. And all those aspects, we will be exploring really quite deeply to see just how we can pull them all together to execute in elements that matter to us. I hope that you will join me as I roll out these episodes. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's get to work. Welcome. I'm so happy and grateful that you've joined us for the Fifth Professional One podcast. I'm thrilled today to have with me Ben Stofflett and Keely Kitzman, two Marines and guys I've known for decades. We're going to have a blast today talking about the intensity multiplier principle of fellowship and how that positively impacts our lives and how we use that just to be chasing our version of our best life. So with that, I'm going to let these guys introduce themselves. Ben or Keeley, who would like to start and just tell us your background? This is Ben, by the way, who's starting. So I'm Ben. My background is uh, I'm born in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. I went to Memorial High School, played football there. And then afterwards, I went to University of Wisconsin, Eau Claire for four days, dropped out and joined the Marine Corps. (laughs) I was in the Marine Corps from 2012 to 2016. uh, And I served in Afghanistan in 2013. And after the Marine Corps, I got out and I went to the University of Wisconsin Stout, where I graduated with a pre-law degree. And now I'm currently in my last year of law school at Mitchell Hamlin School of Law in St. Paul. And I'm going for veterans disability law. So awesome. Awesome. Yeah, and you were kind of, you were studded stout. Didn't you set the, didn't you have like the highest GPA of the whole program? No, I had a high GPA though. I told told everyone that was the case. As long as they believe it. As long as they believe it. He was the perception is reality. (laughs) You're number one. And tell us you're published already. Tell us a little Uh, bit about that and where people can find that if they want that. I'm getting published in the Cleveland Marshall College of Laws Journal of Health and Law. And my article that I wrote is called from healthcare to hiring impacts of social and public policy on veterans in the United States. Awesome. So awesome. it just goes into the background of disability law for veterans and how veterans as like a political block have a lot more like strength than that they realize. And just a lot of the problems that are going on with like the VA and 
how veterans have the power to fix it, and so does the public at large. Excellent, excellent. I had a chance to read it. Congratulations. That's yeah, awesome. Thank you. It was a fun uh, read. Keely, give us a brief background, and then we'll get into your stories a little bit. Yes, sir. So I'm Keely Kitzman. I was actually born in Vail, Colorado. I came here around middle school time frame in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Went to high school Benjamin here at Eau Claire Memorial, played football together. I was also a hockey player growing up all the way through there and uh, ended up just like Ben, did my first semester at UW-Eau Claire, dropped out, and I joined the Navy and originally joined to become a Navy SEAL. Found out a little tidbit was that you actually have to see and have good vision, did not know that. So I got through my testing, we call it PST. So essentially it's this physical fitness test and I passed it, they got my contract and they went, all right, cool, we're gonna send you down and get, you know, sworn in, all that crap, all that stuff. And then they did the exam, they go, you can't see, can you? And I went, <laughs> no. And so I tried to lie about it and, you know, me memorize the charts, didn't work. So they're like, well, you can be a corpsman, great application outside with medical aspects. You can still go with the Marine Corps if you're still interested in going to combat, things of that nature. So that was my path. Ended up at 27 Marines in 29 Palms. Did two tours to Iraq in 2014 to 15, and then again in 2016. It was from there, really got interested in mental health, especially with the veterans, the, the statistics of, you know, 22 a day. At some point, it was even 23 a day for a bit there, Ben, right? Mm -hmm. And that really struck a chord with me. And as Ben knows, Doc is the guy who people come to when it comes to both medical and mental stuff. I mean, I was 19. So explain Doc. Literally, yeah. So, so you doc, were a doc. Yeah. So as a doc, with how the Navy works is you have the Department of the Navy. Marine Corps actually falls under the Department of the Navy as a branch. It's its own separate branch, but it falls under the department. The way around. No. It's, Navy's the branch. Marine Corps is the Department of Marine Corps. It's, yeah, because we're the men's department. Oh, my. Yeah. There it is. All <laughs> <laughs> that makes me feel way better knowing now that you couldn't see and you were doing medical stuff. To us. So that, makes, <laughs> that makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> but yeah, so it's essentially with the, the Marine Corps, best, easiest way to look at it as Marine Corps is the infantry for the Navy. And so with that in mind, Navy provides transport and supplemental aspects. So that'd be medical. So I got implemented into the Marine Corps. I was one of 30 or so corpsmen that are in the entire battalion. And then we get separated about two per company with our two per platoon within a company of, you know, four or five companies. So it was really interesting. You know, you, you earn the title doc. Doc has been, you know, one of the most upheld nicknames, titles in the infantry as a whole, especially with the Marine Corps. It's a very coveted name in the sense that you have to earn it. You know, there's guys I've known that never were called doc because they were by last name because they didn't do their job. So... At least I did something right. So it's way to go. So I was known as Doc Kitty and got out in 2018, came back to Eau Claire, Wisconsin, finished my bachelor's degree in psychology and biology. And then half, you know, halfway through, I was debating between becoming a PA or becoming a mental health counselor. And after Ben and I spent quite a bit of time really talking about really what is my goal, what I want to do, and mental health still st stayed pretty true to that. So I ended up applying to UW Stout following events, but footsteps and got into the graduate program, which I just finished my first semester in clinical mental health counseling. Excellent. Yes, sir. No, published, no published stuff yet, but we'll get there. You'll can, get there. Could I brag about Keely for one second? So of course. When he said battalion and company, just so you know the size of that, or so people watching know the size, battalions about 1,300 to 1,500 Marines and companies are about 250. So if he was only two per company, that's, he's responsible. Two per platoon. Yeah. Oh, so about six per company yeah. right so six six corpsmen are responsible for about 250 marines which oh. it's that's a lot of responsibility so and that's why it's like an earned title when they call you doc is that they know that you could like take care of anybody so it's, it's a really it's cool. a pretty big thing that 30 guys can take care of 
they're, they're probably the only 30 guys in the entire battalion that could, you could only have 30 guys that are that good that could do their job for the entire battalion. That's pretty cool. Now, Ben, you were in country too. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I was in Sangin District in Afghanistan in 2013. So I was there for seven months and I was a radio operator with 3rd Battalion, 4th Marines, which is just the dude that carries the radio around. Pretty important job, I'd say. Yeah, learned a lot about communicating effectively. <laughs> <laughs> you guys were essentially top targets for the enemy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, actually, absolutely. Actually, Corman, like Healy, they, they have like, the medical caduce. They take them off because then they're just a target. It's kind of like right. not having like saluting officers because they're a target. And then I can't really do anything because I got the shoot me post. Off your back. Yeah. <laughs> luckily for me, most of our, like pretty much all of our operations were in vehicles. We were, we were mounted just because the Sangin's a really bad area. And they, it was like considered a black zone where there's just too many IEDs. And there's a lot of legacy IEDs, which they planted like, you know, 10 years ago and forgot. And they're still... At, active so luckily i didn't i wasn't skyline too much but that was still skyline <laughs> oh, yeah. so. that's pretty cool mm -hmm. so keely you had a specialty too yeah so tell us what you can about that yeah so i was fortunate enough i think it was just because of my size because most corpsmen traditionally i think ben can attest to it they're i i mean i don't know why but they're they tend to be Smaller guys. I don't know. You know I don't even know why. It's just but, like machine gunners in the Marine Yeah, Corps. machine For gunners. For some reason, the big smallest dudes. guys got... Yeah, well, they usually have the smallest dude or like... The like, biggest. Yeah, the key mess. is weird. And so my first deployment was with just a regular infantry company. And then basically through circumstance got picked up by the sniper platoon for 2-7 and... From that point on, pretty much my my career completely changed in the sense that I was now being inserted, whereas Ben, thank well, thank you for that, by the way, for tooting my horn. You know, I went from being responsible for, you know, the medical aspect, the true grunt, you know, aspect to now being part of operations with sniper teams where we are up in the mountains providing intel for the entire battalion and sometimes multiple battalions doing like a combined effort. So I got thrown into the loop and... As Ben has pointed out multiple times to me, is that we're expected to be an infant. We're just expected to be a, a Marine as we are a corpsman. But, you know, when it comes to clearing rooms, you know, conducting, you know, any sort of operation. So I was expected to be just as much of a sniper as anyone else in the team. That was really, that was tough for me. Going from being so focused on the medicine to being like, no, like that's obviously your expectation. But we also have this expectation for you here that you need to be a perfectly synchronous aspect of the machine for the team mm. so i need to be able to shoot i need to be able to be on a spotter you know so that was that was my ended up being my second deployment and it really shifted the gears for me and just in the sense of just like you know we'll talk about just that fellowship being from kind of a macro fellowship with you know 30 guys to being in a micro where i'm in a team of four and we're completely separated. So yeah, pretty incredible. And then to, to brag about you one more time. So <laughs> in the Marine Corps there, they do a lot of cross training, right? So like my job is a radio operator, but I would teach my other guys the radio. So like, they're not going to be as good at me at it, but then like, I'm not going to be as good at like infantry skills as they are, but we still cross train. But when it's like sniper platoons and like, like Keeley's team, it's, they're all exactly the same level at each job because they have to be, because you, like for me, I would have, you know, 30 other guys or whatever and Keely he's got three so they have they have they're they're more that's why they're special operations like, mm -hmm. so like it's 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 not even cross training at that point it's it's like 
you're just totally totally, immer total immersion i would guess sure. so and and yeah so like because you like if like what i said before if he took off his corman symbol you wouldn't be able to tell him apart from the other snipers when like a corman in a regular marine platoon you would be able to tell just because they would only be doing medical stuff mm -hmm. so yeah oh. which was again that was that huge aspect of the classic uh, was it bear grills improvise adapt overcome like that was our motto in mm -hmm. the sense of just okay make it work it's cool yeah i'm just in awe I don't, i'm sitting here going what a cool story and i want to make sure i thank you guys for your service that's awesome you yeah, know thank you very much i think our whole community of people we grew up with is just all about freedom and you guys actually went out there and helped us keep it and that's really cool i mean most years it culminates on the lake dock singing Star Spangled oh, Banner yeah. at the top of our lungs. Oh, gosh, so yes. <laughs> that must have felt really special for you guys the first time you were back and got to do those kind of things, I hope, because, yeah, boy, we sure appreciate you. Yeah, it was, thank you for that. It was, you know, like you said, just like coming back <clears throat> to that was my dad being the loving father and patriot that he is ended up surprising being the hometown hero at the Madison Nebraska game, which they won. So go Badgers. And no, I know we're in a I know Boilermakers. <laughs> well Big Ten. Oh yeah. yeah. Big Ten. Hey, yeah, I, yeah. I was Charlie's hometown here. I would also like to personally extend my thanks to one of my best friends and former teammates, Private First Class Benjamin Stoplet, and wish him luck in his deployment in March. Yeah, nice. And I got brought out and we get to the game, whatever my dad goes, hey come here. And I get brought down on the field at halftime and I look up and there's my photos that my dad had asked me for that I just thought he was being a dad and they're up on the screen and the, so I'm up on the big screen and I look over at the student section and they're all doing this, like they're just bowing. And I was like, <laughs> in all, cool. and I'd been home for six days nice. from Iraq. So it's just like that. Yeah. And the background is your dad was both a player and a coach. Player and a student coach. Uh, yeah. So my dad was going to play at Madison, ended up having a really bad injury. So yeah. I never got to play, but he was an athletic trainer. And then he spent his whole, I mean, 20, probably 20 plus years coaching football. He was the man. Yeah. So and, that was the end. That's a great tribute. How yeah. Cool of him to do that. Well, just, yeah, just a tribute to him as a father as well. Right. Right. So speaking of fathers and influence, Ben, you're kind of a big scout. Tell us about that yeah, background. Yeah. Influence of your dad in that space. So my dad got me into Cub Scouts in first grade, and I stayed all the way until Eagle Scout, and he was my troop leader along with one of his best friends, Dr. Max Meneker. And that kind of got me into the, like, the sense of duty, teamwork, and like the Boy Scouts were literally invented to like prepare kids for war, essentially. So funny that I went into the Marine Corps. <laughs> but, you know, they, they instill, they have, it's called a Scout Law, and it's Scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. And then they have, actually, that's the motto of the Scout, or the Scout motto is, on my honor, I will do my best to do my duty to God and my country and to obey the Scout law, to keep other people, or to keep myself at all times physically straight, morally, or physically strong, morally straight, and mentally awake. <laughs> nice. And then, that was good. yeah, and then, so then, but then also that, like, when I was like, getting into that Eagle Scout level, when it's, like, the higher level of it, when they really start making you practice, like, what, like you know, like the Eagle Scout project and stuff, that's also when I was playing football. So it was just another reinforcement of it. And my dad, he just, I mean, he, we, he still talks about, like, the Scout oath and law to me. Like, <laughs> not even when it's, like, about <laughs> yeah <laughs> we'll be like watching a football game he'll just like recite it and i'll be like okay but so yeah my dad's been probably the biggest influence on me and i think football and the scouts prepared me a lot for the marine corps even though i didn't know i was preparing for it and football 
like I know in your like email to us, you said like a lot of the target audience here has played a sport, but they haven't been in like the military. Well, if they played football, it's the same That's thing. Damn. Literally the same thing without guns. Mm-hmm. It's a lot the lessons are all there. And actually a lot of guys that join the military are have played sports and it's because especially i think with guys they're always searching for like a tribe they're always searching for a group to be a part of like something bigger than something to be a part of something bigger than yourself and the marine corps kind of fills that and like when a lot of guys get out of the military they're searching for that again and that's like a i think that's a big big problem when guys transition because they didn't know that they had it and then when they get out they search for it and that's what with we talked about when i came back and played came back to play football with Eau Claire, that, just what he said, was, and he and I, I mean, it, I was, thank God I had been when I came home, because I didn't, you know, a lot of those guys don't have people when they come home, and so they, you know, they isolate, and that's where the demons come out, and I had been, I got approached by a football coach, and I, when I said, yeah, like, you know, I think I'm good to go, I'm ready to play, and I started playing, and I first day in the locker room, I went, finally try it again. And, you know, mental health just went right back to that, you know, upward slope. Nice. Yeah, because nice. yeah, I told you to do it because I was like, the worst part for me, like, was when you get out, like, civilian world comparatively is, like, when I say easy, meaning you're not going to have to go do things for, like, a field op for, like, a month or whatever. It's just the schedule's easier, but it gets to the point where there's so, so much idle time. And they say, like, idle time is, like, the devil's playground. Mm-hmm. And when it gets too easy, you allow yourself to get like complacent. And that's when you start falling down the cliff. And if you don't have that goal of somebody depending on you, like like a football team, you won't thrive. And right. when me and Keely found our like niche areas of where both were somebody's depending on us, like when I'm going to law, veterans will be depending on me, his patients will be depending on him. That gives us like a purpose again. And that's probably mm-hmm. the biggest thing because yeah, and that's like the micro level. But when you're part of a team, everybody has that micro level of purpose that goes towards the greater goal of mm-hmm. like for the football team, their mission is to win games. Yeah, so it's, yeah. just, it, it's applicable to that. That is just excellent and a great lead into what we want to talk about today. <laughs> I mean, what a great background. And I think the listener will understand why I invited these two young men to have this conversation on fellowship. I want to define just very briefly My intensity multiplier principles, or IMPs, are actually 16 strong. We're only going to talk about one today, and that's fellowship. What I've done is through causal relationships that I've observed over time, and then formulated a hypothesis and tried it in my life. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. What I've tried to do here is take a very complex particular attribute and make it actionable. So what I've done is try to simplify it a bit by adding two dimensions to each one of these 16 principles. So there's 32 dimensions. We're going to cover two today. Intensity multiplier principle of fellowship is made up by the intensity multiplier dimensions of trust and loyalty. And if you can imagine a graph, and we'll have some schematics for those of you on YouTube, but for those of you listening, imagine your good old graph, and in the upper right quadrant, we have our desired state of being, where we have high trust and high loyalty. Through that, we're going to discuss today how that actually enhances groups in teams. At the same time, we'll talk about the opposite. What is negative trust, distrust? What is negative loyalty? disloyal. We'll talk about other attributes of that as well, but our idea over time is to do things, be part of groups, have a mission, 
that lets us get to the point of fellowship. And in the fifth professional one practice, a big part of what I'm doing is understanding that student athletes essentially end up being professionals and fit professionals. So the play here is similar to what you both already referenced, uh, Ben and Keeley, and that is that the lessons we learn in athletics or other items like scouts through our family, those tend to get propagated forward as a fit professional and they still work. Well, we tend to lose our way. We talk, You guys talked about that a little bit too. And it's really appropriate that we're talking about fellowship because maybe it'll be a key for some, some other vets too, where they can focus on action items with trust and loyalty and find organizations that base that on a mission that they're passionate about and then offer that environment. So that's a real summary basis. And over the course of the podcast here, we'll be inserting that image so you can get a better view of it. But again, imagine that we are trying to take actions to move to a more loyal state with our team. Uh, and we're doing the same thing to build trust. So with that in mind, again, it's kind of high level. Let's try to add some clarity, clarity to it through your examples. So one thing that comes to mind is, and maybe you guys can comment on, is we've talked about where is mission in all of this? You guys, both in your athletic and military experience and now in life experience, let's talk about that. How does mission relate to fellowship? I think I can start on that. One of my favorite quotes from the military, mission first, people always. Without the mission, there is no point of having the people there together. So mission is king, a king in the military. So it's everything you do is the mission, even no matter how small the the mission is. I can tell you to go get a trash can. That's your mission for that point. And the military does really well is they really train you, sometimes not so nicely, to be obsessive <laughs> about mission. It's all about mission completement. And I actually wanted to read a quote that I really like. So this comes from a guy named Martin Treptow, and he got killed in World War One. But when he was killed, people found within his jacket a note that he wrote to himself. And he says, America must win this war. Therefore, I will work. I will save. I will sacrifice. I will endure. And I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost as if the entire issue of the whole struggle depends on me alone. And I think that's what the Marine Corps and the military as a whole preaches. And I think like football does that too. You learn your job and it's part of a controlled chaos thing for the ultimate goal of what that mission is. Yeah, it's really interesting. It, it starts with the individual. Yep. And that's with, and like, you know, Ben mentioned with the, you know, the athletic aspect of it with, you know, with football, you know, truly having, you know, I, I can't, we've all done it, you know, watching film and you watch a play fall apart. And it's not because the whole team failed, but it's because a lot of times it's one person failed their mission. And then it caused an entire domino effect to everyone else, even though they might be completing their mission, their aspect of the mission was dependent on that one aspect and you watch it collapse. And then when you watch it su succeed, it's like, oh my God, it's just this well-oiled machine of mission. Yeah. That's a perfect one to talk about a couple of quadrants. So yeah. with that background, what does that state of being look like in the quadrant we want where we have high trust and loyalty? And then what does that look like in the quadrant where we have low trust and low loyalty? Right. How would you see that unfolding? Oh, yeah. You look at those, like they talk about the problem players and teams where, you know, the most skilled guy, and we talked about, you know, you mentioned like heart, we mentioned before in previous talks about, you know, hard work will trump effort and or hard work will trump talent. 
And that, you know, some people argue like, well, if you don't have the talent, no matter how hard you work, you can't do anything. And I beg to differ on that because if you have somebody who thinks they're above the mission and they do their own thing, it rarely, if ever, works for them. And it causes an entire, there is no compatibility with the team. There's no mission to be had because the mission is completely thrown out the window at that point. And that's when those guys, you look at those NFL players that were the problem player and they're a cancer in the team and they get cut. And on the flip side, you see the guys that, you know, it's the fullbacks, the tackles, you know, the linemen that they, they're not, you know, they're not getting these incredible accolades. They're not getting all the interviews and such. But when you watch them on film, that man has done his mission to a T because that's what, you know, he had the trust and the loyalty to the mission, to the program, to the training. This is what I have to do to make this work. And when you see everyone doing that, it's almost like beautiful, for lack of better terms, to watch that happen. And in the military, when we would run in missions and you'd see, you know, an entire, you know, platoon taking on a trench, you know, we, we ran it. I was like range two, one of the range 200s. And it was, a, we ran them all the time. We knew I could even still now write out to you, draw it out for you, like where everyone would go and the mission. But when you'd see, we'd get, you know, because we have, the, we call them coyotes and they'd be actually observing us and grading us on how we did. And they would talk about person by person, what went wrong if we, if we failed the mission, like, even if like by the end, like we finally got there and like, well, you know, you could have, this could have happened half an hour ago, had you stuck to the mission, stayed loyal, stayed trusting in what you were told to do. And that's where that negative quadrant comes in. And you see that. And I was even part of that where I thought I was doing the right thing because I knew better. Mm -hmm. And I became the Achilles heel of my team. And especially when I was younger, you know, and then once you create, then I started trusting, you know, buying into the program, as they say. Right. And you see that. I don't know if you have. So Ben, if you could, that awe-inspiring quote, we got to go back to that. Yeah. I mean, that, that's awesome. And you could. Mission first people always. Well, this. Or or both actually are probably applicable, but if you could kind of get in that guy's head, I mean, that's still, his note is still inspiring soldiers today. Right. And could you just elaborate on that that impact and maybe I think, dovetail into what Keeley just went Yeah, through. so I think the biggest part when it becomes disloyalty or even in the military mutinous, I think would be the, the right word. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's that lower quadrant. I yeah. think a good example translates to the macro level that translates to the micro is first Gulf War is a very good example. When you have a well communicated, established, defined mission with a clear end state that people know and believe in. They have to believe in the mission first. Otherwise, there's just nothing. And if you have that and you have a goal that's achievable and here's how we do it, then everybody can train their own small job to complete that mission. That's how you get the mindset of Martin Treptow because it's something that you believe in because he he brought up trust. He trusted himself. And if everybody is like that, it creates trust throughout the whole unit and throughout, because you could have a great platoon, but that company might not be good or the battalion and so on and so forth. And then it snowballs. You can go from top, bottom or bottom up. And that's exactly the intensity multiplier. So that's an excellent point. So how, speculate on what you think the impact of Martin's just being was on his What's his smallest troop pollutant? Body system, to be honest. Yeah. But that's fire yeah. team. A yeah, fire, fire team. Fire team. Smallest yeah. Four. Within a squad, yeah. Yeah. And so. But like his expectations, his mentality, his influence. I mean. Yeah. He, and like, you have to believe in it because like, like in a fire team, you have to know your job. Otherwise your fire team 
won't be able to do its job. And then so then your squad doesn't and so on and so forth. So they, I think the biggest thing too is to have that belief in yourself for mission success. That's why the Marine Corps is so obsessed with brilliance and the basics and training. If you're competent in your job, you will trust yourself to do whatever they tell you to do because you know you can do it. And the Marine Corps is always putting you in positions where you're not confident and it's entire purpose is to make you confident. Like when they make you go in the gas chamber, you can feel how like shitty gas feels on you. But then when you put your gas mask on, you're like, oh, it works. So you trust your gear and you trust your guys and you trust yourself. Because, and if you don't have competency, then I think the whole thing falls apart. It starts right there. It yeah. starts with trusting yourself. Well, and that's, and kind of, yeah, I hate the term, but it's so piggybacking. So they, the military uses that word, that phrase. But really going off that with, when it came to corpsmen, I saw, I felt like I saw that more with the corpsmen and the medical aspect when I'm comparing it to my infantry boys, just because, you know, we go through the Navy corpsmen and I, I will absolutely say it is that we are the high, besides the special forces medics, we are the highest trained. Medical. Physicians assistance positions was literally created yeah. in 1948 for Navy corpsmen coming out of the war because they were just so much better. Yeah. Cause mm -hmm. we're so highly trained and you know, I would have our new guys come in and we throw them right in the fire. I mean, that's, that's just how things are done. And you'd see them freak out, you know, they mess up. And I wasn't a believer in the, the yelling and screaming when it came to that, because my number one question I'd always ask me, do you know what you did wrong? And nine times out of 10, they went, yep, I did this and this. So you know what you're doing. Why didn't you do it? And then while I was second guessing myself, I didn't, you know, they didn't trust in themselves. And then what we do, just like Ben said, like the brilliance and the basics is like, all right, take out the patient. I'm going to tell you a notional patient, walk me through it slowly. And they do it perfectly. Like, all right, you know what you're doing. Trust that. You know, you have the information and you have nothing in front of you that you're reading. You're, you're going. And that applies to so many aspects of life. Just that, you know what you're doing. You've been trained in it. Like, I mean, like the whole purpose of this whole, you know, the, what your mission with fit professional is trusting in yourself and you're giving them the basics. You know, if they know the basics and, you, and beyond that, you know, the intense stuff, you're going to succeed. You just have to trust that you're going to succeed with the knowledge you already have. Yes. And also in there is trusting the leadership. I was going to say the leadership yeah. has that, to, which, the, yeah. the, the, we call it setting them up for success. He, like he would throw his guys into the fire, but they're going to succeed at the end of the day. They're going to be uncomfortable, but he's not just setting them up to fail. Comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way to put it. So his functionality, uh, I've always thought leadership is getting kind of dumbed down in the professional world because yeah. it's being extrapolated to try to count for everybody. And clearly in the military, when you're going in, you have a hierarchy of right. leadership. And that with all the practice, with all the reps, with all the deliberate practice and simulations, sounds like forcing failure, just like the Apollo program does that I talked about in a different podcast coming up. You guys make adjustments and the leader's also practicing making decisions too. Yeah, oh, and we actually and practice leadership. There's- Very, we, tell us more. Tell yeah, us so more we go to like that. things like corporal's course. It's all about leadership. They tell you all the leadership traits and like they tell you, like I was going to bring up, you never ever will make somebody do something that you won't do yourself or have already done. So you have to always, always lead by example. You can't just expect people to do it. And then you have to look at people as people, not as task completers. You have to, we always say, know your Marines and seek self-improvement. And always be asking like, we call it mentoring. Like, so like, if you're a leader, you're going to be mentored by another leader who is a higher rank and so on and so forth. And, and you have to have like an open door policy. 
kind of thing because that creates trust too not even in when you're making them do whatever task it is it's outside of that too it's kind of like the whole idea of it and we have an acronym for everything but for marine corps leadership it's jj did the high buckle <laughs> yeah it's justice judgment decisiveness initiative liberancy bearing unselfishness courage knowledge what's that leadership and then yeah. and endurance yeah so we'll down good guys yeah <laughs> you've been it's on a while they hammered in you <laughs> and then they start the leadership training at the smallest level so like when you have like what we're talking about you have a fire team leader then you have a squad leader. It's always a leader. It's not, you, know, you have a platoon leader. It's always leadership. And any, the Marine Corps is obsessed, probably more than any branch about correcting deficiencies, like automatically. So like they call it like policing your own. Mm-hmm. So if everybody's held to that standard and you're always doing it down and across the board, it helps when you get promoted oh. to where so, you can, because then otherwise sometimes like you get the thing where like, you're friends with the three guys in your fire team and then one of you gets promoted. That could make it go downhill because you won't listen to them. But in the Marine Corps, you're so used to correcting everything, even in yourself, that you have no problem doing it. So pulling out similarities and things we can use in our civilian lives, in business or with our startup or whatever we're doing, our yeah. organization, our Friday night volleyball league, whatever it is. One thing I'm hearing, and I'll go through a couple of things here. You guys either correct me if I'm wrong or maybe okay. Number one is, It sounds like in the deliberate practice, the rep, the decision maker, which we're calling the leader, is trusted by his team or her team to accurately assess skill gaps and then recommend what needs to be done to fill those skill gaps and then try again until a standard is met for that particular practice. So if I balled all that up, one of the major roles of the person we're referring to as a leader is to manage accountability. Yes, it's Absolutely. it's all about your accountability, self-accountability, Michigan accountability, it's all that. So, But the trust, remember yeah. our fellowship, so we have the, the trust and loyalty. So there's high trust. Right. It's not given, really. No, no it's the, it's, it's developed in the deliberate practice. Absolutely. Where you get to see the person in that role make the tough decisions and perform it. Do I have that part right? And, yep. And then yeah. you, by you succeeding in the situations that they set you up in, it helps you trust your leadership more. Because yeah. if you were just giving somebody a task that they kept failing at and there's no learning lesson or even bettering them, then they're, then that's going to cause them to go down the other curve of disloyalty where they're like, well, this guy's just wasting my time and I'm not learning anything. I'm not getting better. And then he's killed. And then, yeah. 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 And then (laughs) high high stakes. Yeah. It's high stakes. And then like, so you have to create an environment for the group for, to have them have something to overcome and have shared experiences, but with the end goal that they can succeed together. And sometimes like for like a company building, a team building, it's something that none of them could do alone. It's kind of like an obstacle course kind of thing. But if they all work together, then they can complete it. And right. then uh, another thing too is like you you always hear like the military lingo, having a shared lingo like in a company or like in a team. Language, yes. yeah. Having oh, a God. shared language, that's huge. Yeah. I would say. It's actually probably underrated. And then somewhat comes out of the mission, I would think. The shared mission yeah. actually absolutely determines a lot of the language. And, th- and then I would say creating a unique sense of identity for your team. Because like we'll have inner squad competitions, inner whatever competitions, it's, nice. so they can take pride at the lowest level. Or like you'll give like your troops just a little contest in the, whatever, and it might be like you get off an hour early or something like that. But it helps it has them take pride in the lowest levels. Mm-hmm. Of, and even I would say actually the only thing that the military does on an individual level is we call it field day. For every Thursday for like, like <laughs> ten hours, it's, <laughs> you just clean your room, and the room is probably like half of this room. And you and like 
they just move everything out, you know, they white glove it. And that led, that leads you to have pride in your things or like your gear, how it's set up. So it's, or probably the other biggest part is your weapon. Your weapon is like... Well, and that's, I just had a conversation with this. I was, so I became really... I had a commanding officer at the time was Major Phil Flam. And now he, or he, yeah, he just got promoted to Major. Now he's now Lieutenant Colonel. And I was on, I just had a phone call with him. And one thing that I asked him, because you know, he really was a mentor and he was bar none, the best leader I have ever encountered in my life. So much so that even to the point, like right now, if he told me to do something, I would believe in the reasoning behind it. And the one thing he told me when we were on the phone was the hardest thing for him. And he actually started enlisted. So we call him a Mustang because he went enlisted, became an officer after that. So he kind of had that dual knowledge of what it's like to be under leadership and then to be a leader. And he said the hardest thing for him to really believe in was trusting people to follow through with the mission and not being that micromanaging. And he, you know, trusting in your, not subordinate, but your company, your platoon, to fall through with the mission because at that point, you know, when you get to that leadership level in a company, a business, whatever it is, if you don't trust your, the people working for you, you're never going to complete the mission and you're not going to complete your mission as a leader. I totally agree with that. And it, what happens is those same leaders, if somebody's having a problem, will be quick to help them, but have the expectation they become self-reliant again to move mm -hmm. forward on a team. You guys were talking about the human am animal and it's so important in trust and loyalty is that the empathy has to do with in building trust is there's gotta be an appropriateness over time of the person in a leadership position, managing the relationship with the subordinate in a way that builds trust. You just said mm -hmm. a huge, huge trust. The other thing to, I think the listener should pick off is it's between what you two have said is it's very important to learn how to follow before yes, you was, take that's what I was a leadership position. You can't lead if you can't follow. Yep. And then, but, to, but why? Because it's kind of like the Mustang in you, the trust loyalty paradigm. Yeah. Because you see it at a lower level, you're getting the orders and you're completing the task and it, you see it being successful. And also it's like, if you're following somebody by definition, that means you have a leader. And you can take their tools, the good and the bad, and put it in your tool bag and then take other leaders and put that their traits in your tool bag. So when you become a leader, you can be like, I didn't like how they handled this situation. I'm going to do it this way. Or I really liked how they handled this situation. So I'm going to do it this way. And it, it just gives you an appreciation for the entire organization at top to bottom. Because yeah. if you're kind of down doing the dirty work, well, then when you are in a leadership role, you know how much it either is they're going to be happy about it or not happy about whatever you're telling them to do. And that really leads you to take different decisions. It actually makes you think more as a leader. And right. you have more empathy for your subordinates if you've been in their position before. So, so in a professional circumstance, how do we make that actionable? And what comes to mind for me is there is a capability and a competence factor for each individual. Mm -hmm. And good leaders never exceed that. And that builds trust. Uh, they recognize what the individual is capable of. And they also, I think, have a feel for pushing that envelope when it's time for you to improve. Yes. it's And so you, you go, what? He told me to do that or she told me to do that. And you go through it and all of a sudden you go, wow, I got through it. Or you get stuck and they show up, like I said, and they help you don't hold your hand through the whole thing, help you to help yourself 
right. and get you to that self-reliant state. So your capacity and competence grows grows in the role. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Does that feel right for you guys? And it sounds like I'm a plant for this, but you guys are plant with uh, having <laughs> really impressive being really close with your son and following his journey. Just I mean, besides Ben is one of the most intelligent and driven human beings I've ever met. But what really just blew me away was him leaving Salt Lake, his job in Salt Lake City, coming here with a business that you own and you have every ability to have put him right to the top, just handed it to him and having him start from that position that he started in and fucking earn it. Yeah. And I remember him literally talk, like we would talk about like with our parents, just having fathers that push us as, you know, leaders within the family, you know, and how he has you as a leader, as a family, as also a leader of a business. And he would show me emails about how you were guiding him, but also pushing him to be better. Like, Hey, there's some deficiencies here. Like I, you need to fix these and being a, really being privileged to read that and be like, wait, that's your dad. You know, it wasn't this relationship, like I would have never, you could have never claimed nepotism on that because it truly was a leader telling somebody, I know your capability and you need to freaking earn it. Yeah. And, but also I'm going to help you earn that. And here's some tools. And it, like that for me, I don't like, on a purely that's simple, exactly uh, a, a big part of a, of the leader. Again, I like to use management because they're people mm -hmm. and they have to get good at their jobs. And we refer to those leader, but they're, they're managing the things we're talking about in an optimal manner. Mm -hmm. And and we call them leaders because they get to make decisions. Mm -hmm. yep. Somebody's got to be responsible for the decision. To me, that's the differing factor because all these things we're talking about make great teams if everybody has these attributes. Mm -hmm. Because part of a distrust and loyalty in the troop, in the team, in the business is to look at your peer as well, even look at your superior and frankly do the same thing to the extent it's appropriate, applicable, and, and what supports the mission. Yep. That's yeah. what's so cool about it. So yeah. the, the big differentiator, I really, really came to light in the next podcast on Apollo 13. I hope you guys will listen to it, mm -hmm. where where the hierarchy matters, but it's got functionality. Yeah. And, and it's the only differentiator really ought to be. In other words, I'm not arrogant. Mm -hmm. I'm not better than you. I just have a different role and responsibility. Yeah, that's all it is. And, and then the subordinates hold the manager to that thing we refer to as leadership is that decision-making capability when it sucks. So we both want to say a lot here. I can see it in your eyes. I love it. Rock and roll. Well, I mean, it was with <laughs> Phil Flambert. When I really, I guess, deciding factor, of like, this is the man I'm going to fall into battle was, you know, we did a, we did a full exercise. One of, I think it was like MRX and McCree, one of those type things, you know, week, month long things that were out in the field. And then afterwards he pulls in and he would pull in the subordinate leaders, you know, the platoon leaders, all that stuff. And he'd ask them, what do you think, how could we do better? And it wasn't him doing it. And he was saying like, well, what do you think I did wrong? And no one would say anything like, oh, you know, well, I think we could do better, sir. You know, all the stuff because that's not what I'm asking. What do you think with directives I gave you, objectives I gave you, was that something that was attainable or is that something that we need to work on on my end to make it more mission capable? And I sat there. I was like, are you kidding me? Like this is, he's a freaking major. And it was mission-based. And it was mission-based. It's mission-based. And I think in, in the yeah. professional world, when you guys get out there and get in your organizations, that's a huge part that's missing is it's uh, different reasons than mission that they're bringing up exactly the kind of thing you said. But right. if everything goes back to the mission, because it does on sports teams, it does in the military, 
I believe a dozen really successful organizations. Oh yeah. Then we're talking about the mission as opposed to you suck as a leader yeah. or it's more like, okay, I made that mistake. And here you have a superior asking, has a sense that must have that it didn't go right. Yeah. And the mission, besides completing the mission, we got to switch into that too, is getting everybody back alive. And the civilian version of that, I'd love to hear what you guys think that is, because there are like mining, non-metallic mining, mm -hmm. you do have an element of safety that is saving lives, mm -hmm. but not like the military, not like being in country. But the point is, when the stakes are high, I actually think the decision, all the things we're talking about matter more. And if you don't do anything but look at the mission in terms of improving to get it there, it being whatever the submission is. Like, mm -hmm. the, I know in the Air Force, they call them sorties. I don't know what it they call them when you guys would go in and out patrols, whatever just it yeah, is. Patrol, just patrol. Yeah, patrols. Patrols. I mean, that has a mission, too. Yeah, this, yep. it's a mission within a mission. Yeah. And and like what I was going to say is... Yeah, uh, please elaborate. When Keely brought up a good point of like, you have to be self-critical like as like a leader because it's hard. Like when I say get in there and do the dirty work and like to follow before you can lead. Yeah, it's it's easier for like a lieutenant to come and fill sandbags with us than it is for like in the business world for like a CEO and coming down and doing one of their jobs. But a way to insert yourself into the lower ranks or whatever you want to call it is asking them for feedback because then you're giving them a chance to almost lead voice. you. Yeah. And, and the, I think the hardest part about any leadership is knowing which hat to put on because you were talking about it before like when are you a guide when are you the guy saying no this is what we're doing and that comes with what i was saying before how the marine corps practices leadership right. you can't just be a leader it's you have to be in i like to say involved leadership you have to be involved with them and yourself and you have to keep getting better yourself otherwise i mean it doesn't so it's excellent yeah. back to management again you're managing development of yeah. human beings and there's going to be another i think i'm going to do a podcast on it i call it positive drop-ins pdis okay and does the general drop in to the private or does the lieutenant drop into the private both and okay, <laughs> but, but there's an appropriate time. And a business yes. thing I want to give you is my organization will go do trade shows. Mm. And what I found out really, I, I wanted to be there and help and coach. But with my title, CEO and owner, when I was there and help and coach, if my car was laying there, it doesn't seem practical to me. There's people on my team that are far more technical, but I believe in having them be better at their jobs. Mm -hmm. And they would take my card, not the real technical person or pro, if you will, mm -hmm. card in my group. So I think PDIs are very important. They have to be appropriately done. They have to be the right people too, but they happen often. They have to happen often. And that's on my list in 2023 to improve on because my wife said the other day, God, I can't believe you get behind your computer and you don't come up for 10 hours. Well, I'm <laughs> into it. Let's go. Yeah. But you have to do that. And a positive drop-in has an agenda. Yes. it's yeah. It has a development agenda. Always. So yeah. I'll stop there and have you guys elaborate. But to me, yeah. it's... I'm trying to find crossovers into the professional Absolutely. space from what yeah. you guys yep. are talking and about. And this, this does <laughs> crossover. So the first thing... Like, doesn't matter what rank the higher up is when they drop in. How are you guys living? It's always troop welfare. They're always asking how things are just in general. And then what were you guys doing out in the field? And then, well, we were learning this, show me. And then it might be nerve wracking, but you're right. There's always an agenda. Show me is an accountability. Yes. Aspect. And then it's also for him too, because then he's like, if you do it, then like correctly, then they're like, okay, we're, we're doing well in that. Let's continue to hone that. 
And then two, if you can't, then that gives the leadership to be like, okay, well, I have to fix that somehow. Sure. And then another thing too is- but, um, Well, and also that lets them know they have validated competency capacity so they know whether to use it or not. Correct. Yeah. Because like- So like you're taking the hill, we're going to get to that discussion, but- mm -hmm. You're going to send the right yes, person or group of people that have the right skills to accomplish it, that. And that builds trust too, doesn't it? With the team. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's why they're not going to send the wrong guy that, or gal. That's why you, and when I said you have to know your Marines and seek self-improvement, exactly. you're not going to send the worst guy that's a runner to go run. Like you're just, because otherwise you're setting them up for failure. And then if they fail, then that goes trust downhill. And then but like another thing though, too, is like, what was it said? Talking about skill gaps. We're filling, yeah. if you well, lose the runner, okay, yeah, you got to take the next best runner when the function of running comes up. And I don't know what that means yeah. in, in military space, but in the business space, we got to fill skill gaps when say an employee leaves for some reason, or they're sick, or maybe they're on maternity leave and we have a big gap. We and have a gap. And that's we got to go to the next best person or we got to fill that skill yeah. gap. Well, so guess what happens to deliberate practice? Yeah. And that's the functionality of the PDI too, is figuring out, okay, who am I going to move into that spot? So I think that builds trust and loyalty with the troops because the troops appreciate, my employees appreciate the fact that I'm trying to fill that gap. The difference with you guys I'd like you to elaborate on too, is I think in professional spaces, it, it's not common for employees to notice that. Yeah. And because we hard one. Why is that? I think it's because they're not told that. Okay. In the military, when I'm training a guy, I always let him know I'm doing this because it's the Marine Corps is obsessed with not letting down Marines from the past. Sure. I'm going to train you to the best of my ability so that I don't let the Marine Corps down and you don't let the Marine Corps down. And because one day you're going to be in my shoes. And you're going to have to be passing on those leadership skills. So like, and it supports the mission. Well, the whole not letting down the Marine Corps is like, we're going to, we're going to complete the mission. You guys get to a point in the military. And I think athletic teams do too, where the manager who's got the leadership responsibility of the final decision doesn't have to constantly go over the mission. No, because you, right? you have such belief. Doesn't that make efficiencies? Yeah, it, oh, makes, it makes efficiencies, but also the thing though, and that's why I said before, like the, the clearly communicated mission. And that and that doesn't have to be once. It can be, it should be a couple times, but it, it doesn't have to be to the point of obsession. But you got to tell troops or people under you, where are we right now? Where do we want to be? Here's how we can get there. With You have to give them clear, achievable benchmarks. You can't just say, go do this. Like you said, you know, helping them through it. But that's hit a benchmark. That's a success and acknowledging. With self-reliance as the objective. Correct. Yeah. Self-reliance. It's because it's like training wheels. Capacity, capability. You're, Make you're, sure they got it. Yeah. Uh, it's like when you're teaching a kid to walk. Yeah. You'll help them up when they fall down, but you're not going to make their legs move for them. Yeah. You're going to be there to catch them when they fall, just like the leadership, because it always falls on the leadership. They're, you learn how to get up. Yeah. And you learn how to get up and that's part of it, but it's, you can't be walking without ever falling before you are held your hand a little bit. And then it's a slow cycle. It's like, we always say you can, you have to crawl before you can walk and you can, you have to walk before you can run. Right. And it's a process and it's a never ending process for yeah. leadership. It's continual it's, learning. Yep. And you can continual learn. development. That was one thing cool. because you had to sit on them for with Corman. We're constantly giving classes mm -hmm. on combat trauma and how to do that. And I know you were a CLS Marine. You use the term CLS, combat life-saving. You know, they're like we mentioned is I'm one doc within a squad or, you know, there's been times where I was the doc within 15, 20 guys. And what happens if I go down? Cross training. And so that cross training, and like you mentioned with the PDI is like a positive drop-in is the amount of times that I knew a good leader 
when I'm giving the classes and then, you know, I have like my board or if I made a PowerPoint to, you know, with pictures and stuff, cause it, you need that visual thing. And then I look back and there's my Lieutenant or a captain sitting in the back, writing stuff down. Yeah. And then it fully applied then, like you mentioned, like coming in to fill the gap if you needed to as a leader. And I had a, we were in training exercise, Marine blew off his fingers during a mortar round and I snapped in, did my thing. And the first person that's there is our leader. And he's not yelling at me to do anything in a sense of medical. He's asking questions of doc, what needs to be done? And I tell him that because of that cross training, all I have to do is give him is little cues and he's already doing it as a leader and then using his leadership aspect of making sure that there's a bird moving, there's a, some sort of vehicle getting to me so that I can get my patient off the X and, you know, to a facility, he was able to use his, use that cross training gap to then not only apply the skills that I trained him with. And so that, you know, he dropped in to do, learn that. And that to me, I was like, yeah, that's the man, but also then putting back on his leader hat and going, all right, get Decisions need to be made. Doc told me this needs to happen and I know how to make it happen. Right. And that was and a big thing for that with like trust goes into like when I said competency, but also confidence. What is a huge thing is when you get to the point of where you're just doing your job and you're done with the hand holding stuff, is it feels really good as a subordinate to do your job competently in front of your leadership when they're involved in it. Like when I would have my lieutenant come and ask me, just like, you know, oh, how do you do this on the radio? Like you might know everything that your people under you do, but like the, you said, like the tech guys just dropping in and being like, oh, how do you do that? And then they show you while competent, you're not handholding them. You're learning when they see that you can learn from them, that it increases a lot of trust because it, it humanizes the leadership instead of just getting orders top down. If you feel like you can teach something to them and that they appreciate that you are competent at your work, it, it, like the best leader I had was it almost sounds like the same guy he was talking about. I think that's a, a curve in, in the professional space where the closer you are in the hierarchy to the person you just described, the bigger impact you get. Correct. There's a relate inverse relationship there. Yeah. The further away, like if if let's take a large company like Google and the CEO of Google goes and talks to a warehouse person, super. Mm -hmm. But what is the net impact in as far as trusting, in other words, no bullshit. Mm -hmm. that, you know, that, that CEO in that particular space learn it, might listen to it, but there's not going to be cross-training there. It's too big of an organization. And that's why the same as opposed to the person in the warehouse. Yep. Huge inverse relationship is all I'm saying. And right. I think 100%. that's another piece that you guys take for granted where in the professional space, they think that's a great learning curve right to the top. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, yeah, there's even a reality show, right? Dirty Jobs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So... With that, we're doing the Fit Professional One broadcast. It's great to have you with us. We're going to further develop this concept. This is a fascinating discussion, you guys. Doing a disservice if we didn't discuss how do you, let's use military in football, how do you hone trust and loyalty, get it entrained and develop it? There's actually research that has been done out there whereby it says it's not necessarily in the heat of the action, although that's a component. It's right. off. So, I mean, it's oh, outside yeah. the action. So can you guys cover that? And then we'll try to roll that in for professionals oh, if yeah. you can to give them some actionable items. But the whole idea, what me and Keely are going to be talking about basically is, and this is what breeds the whole fellowship is when people ask me if I like miss the military, I say, I miss the clowns. I don't miss the circus. So, and that's what, Right. And so that's the perfect segue to that's actually the cat. That's the trebuchet into what I was going to say was that, you know, it, 
you go through training and such, and you know, you make friends, obviously, through the training. You kind of develop some sort of camaraderie. But that trust doesn't really happen until it, you really get you know, into the fleet, and which is what the term we use when you actually you're done with your initial training and you're actually within the true unit. And a couple of corpsmen buddies of mine and Marines, half the time when we talk on the phone, yeah, I mean, we talk about the love that we have with each other. We're talking about the stuff that we did, like you said, off, you know, off the set, you know, offset, if you will. And it was incredible to see how that trust was built within each other because you know yeah obviously mission 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 but a submission of that is if you don't trust each other you can't even begin to plan for the actual mission and so when you have guys even if it's just sitting around drinking 30 racks of beer it's that camaraderie and just you know team building just within a what like a 20 by 20 room yeah and you're fitting 16 guys in there and we're all just sitting around talking shooting the shit talking about girls, talking about home, you know, and, re but then you really get to see the character of who that person is outside of the, you know, the field, because there are plenty of times, and Ben and I talk about all the time, where great Marine, horrible dude. Yes. Great Corman, horrible dude. Great at his job, but I wouldn't trust that dude as far as I could throw him if mm -hmm. it came to something outside. And that is where you saw that separation that applied to the mission. And when If you had that little bit of distrust, if it was a good bad guy. That causes yeah. that split second of hesitation, which can get somebody killed. Right. And that makes me think of that, you know, the, with your quadrant, when you, you know, the trust, you know, trust is loyal and all that, where, you know, there's, there's even that potential where I trust you because I would, there's guys where they weren't great at their job, but I trusted him as a person mm -hmm. to do the right thing. So that's where that loyalty played in. Like, it's not a negative thing that he wasn't great at his job, but I trusted him. I think what you brought up, that was right. really interesting, a key word. I think the highest thing attainable in the trust is love. I think oh, uh, God, the yeah. fellowship, and eventually it, the top part when it comes to true fellowship is love. And then the opposite end, if you have like as much disloyalty and distrust as possible, then it's hate. And I think those are probably the two extreme ends. Now, that's not always going to happen, but and it's hard to happen. But like the whole term, what is it? Misery loves company. Oh, yeah. That's usually <laughs> when you get to love is when you're all overcoming something together or just going through something together even if you don't overcome it like you, something sometimes it's just we call it being in the suck and mm -hmm. some and there's a term where we say is like you just got to learn to love the suck yeah you just gotta you just gotta sit in it <laughs> and but yeah yeah so like if for a business the goal should be love you're always attaining the highest achievable thing it might not be feasible but you're always shooting for it like the marine corps is always shooting for perfection we're never going to get it though but we've been trying for 247 years we'll probably try for another 247 years but yeah so like if you can get as close to that love part of trust everything else will be like then that's how you get the organization the culture permeating through the whole organization and that is something that can start at the lowest level and actually almost has to well yeah you look at it like i remember watching when they landed the rover on mars in 2018 one of the rovers it was i can't remember what why it was such an important thing i think it was i don't know if it was the first one mm -hmm. was it the first discovery one? Yeah, yeah discovery and i'm watching it live and then talking about that love they're not a military organization they're you know they're private they're a, NASA, they're a business watching in their that love like you know because that, that word is really is ambiguous in the term of what love really means but if it's there and you, intimacy intimacy yeah. and trust and, loving the mission or loving the, right the and when i remember watching when they landed it and we see it in movies but seeing it live when right. you're seeing everyone within that group they have one mission and each person has their mission and when the mission was succeeded, they're hugging, they're cheering. Right. It's like this is immense thing. And I've seen that even in when I worked at Dairy Queen as a 15-year-old on Gulf Road, 
when things were just done well and it was like you know like, hey nice job like we got out of work early because we did our job yeah like, you know and right. it's, that's still a love with that, each other yeah that, that is so important in my experience i actually have a different intensity multiplier principle i refer to as alignment which the two axes are the mission of the organization versus the mission of the individual Mm -hmm. And when they're highly aligned, you get what you're getting. And NASA is one of those people that in the 70s in the Apollo program, I'm going to do some more study of the more recent programs, so I can't comment. But what I found is, is the alignment between the individual mission and the organizational mission are very high. And that transfers or translates into a role that they is, they're completely accepting and committing to. So if we work that in is every role is handled with enthusiasm that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And then we go to the barracks mm -hmm. and we create more Become fellowship. Yep. We end up with this intimacy because of this unbelievable trust and loyalty that people really have their roles. And like we already talked about, everybody on the team can trust their contribution to the result. And once you can start getting that, and that's powerful. It, once you oh, start yeah. it, it snowballs in a good way, but it can also so snowball. I say multiply. Yeah, it's, it's multiply. Yes. Yeah, that's a better word. Um, yes, it multiplies. Like the uh, absolutely, and, and fires you up. The mission fires you yeah. up. Then your leader, who has the decision making authority, comes in, makes the right call. It just and goes everybody like, believes. In it. And it's sometimes a leader can make a bad decision or the wrong decision. Sure. But having that fellowship and stuff can make the best out of that decision. I mean, the, like in combat. Your plan A through Z is probably not going to work because yeah. something's going to like Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. You might make a plan that wasn't the best choice in hindsight, but your team, when they have that kind of culture, can make it just as good or if not better of an outcome just by having that aligned, like the right. alignment. A so. little sidebar on that one to bring it into the professional world would be leader makes a mistake mm -hmm. uh, in the military. Okay. Military leader makes a mistake, goes back into training, asks for input. Procedures are changed. We mm -hmm. practice it. Now we're back on patrol or combat. There's no more collaboration. Right. Right. And uh, another, you, you run it. No, and that, that's another big differential, I think, in the private sector is there doesn't seem to, it certainly isn't everywhere. There's exceptions to everything I say, actually. Mm -hmm. You can find them. However, Same. <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> I think that that line is, it's not even there. It's like we can collaborate right up and into the action. Mm -hmm. And right. I, I'm also going to be, I've already done some work and I'll be doing a podcast on the myth of collaboration too, because not so much that it's bad in the way you guys talked about it, the way the military uses it, but it just, it stays in the process too long. Yeah, collaboration for collaboration. And it's sake. starting to become a synonym yeah. for leadership, and that's not right. No. It's no. not right. No. Not by itself. No, that's why you have SOPs. Right. You know, you have a same, like, and I remember when I got to that. Standard point, operating procedure. Yeah, yeah commander's yeah. intent. Yeah. You have but, a mission, but the, it, how you complete it might be a little different. It's just right. the intent is to you know, lift my phone up, but if Keely could lift it with two hands, he still lifted the phone up because yeah. my intent was to lift the phone. Right. I got another thing with the Corman aspect too, is that like, not only is there like combat medicine applicable, but also when we're back in the rear or even just when we get back from patrol and we have, I was thinking of in the barracks when you put IVs on. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we have, we're running a clinic, it's you know, training. But Yeah, it is. <laughs> and oh God, with that Paul too, I'll actually touch on that maybe. But uh, you know, it was the reality of, we have stuff that needs to be taken care of, medical records, vaccinations, whatever it is, medicine, even just supplies. And we would have an entire stack of SOPs and 
when the collaboration needed to be done to set this standard operating procedure, it was done, the collaboration needed to be done to make sure that it was as efficient as possible. And then you implement it. You execute. And you execute. Yeah, and, and then if you see somebody, and that's like, if the leader, and a lot of times too, like our leaders would do something. And well, I loved, I was fortunate with pretty good leadership that somebody on a lower, you know, the lower spectrum goes, I just don't think that's efficient. And they go, all right, well, why? And then they would present that. And then mm -hmm. that's when the collaboration is necessary. And that's an excellent example too for the private sector. We often get the, this isn't inefficient, but there's no suggestion yeah. behind it. It becomes right. somebody else's responsibility. All, all you're doing is just bitching at that point. If that, you're not, if you're not offering a solution, you're just bitching. And then yeah. another thing I was going to say is the biggest thing a leader can do sometimes is say, I was wrong. If you let your employees sure. hear it, it you'll be oh, amazed at how much that can improve the trust. Now, that's not saying like I screw up every day and everything. That's not like that. But it's like if you actually are wrong, admitting that or or like what you said, like saying like, oh, well, how would you do it? Knowing when to be a democratic leader, when to be authoritarian, that'll build so much trust because then it humanizes you. Then you're not just basically a bully. That's a really good lead into one question before we got to cover dying on the hill mm -hmm. and, and correct that for the professional yeah. world through your effort. But so you talked about the good Marine, bad dude. Mm -hmm. What's the action plan? Is it role change? Is it work fellowship more? How do you deal with that? Because you can't sit, you hear the tales in the movies that you get shot in the back for a bad enough dude. Yeah. It, I would say it on the we don't want to talk about that. No, yeah. But, but in the private sector, if you have a bad dude, good Marine, we can fire somebody. Well, we can do the same thing almost because Tell like, us about that. So like what, but that's a reassigned role in the military. Correct, but it? they're not going to be in a position to kill people or to get them killed. So uh, we could just have so. them not deploy. So there are, you can, like, you'll be still in the Marine Corps. But it depends on, like, the severity of how bad a person is. Now, if it's just, like, a bad attitude, that can be corrected through just, like, leadership training and all that stuff. But if they're just bad and they're a cancer to that point, well, then it's kind of like when we were saying before, you have to put people in for the, the success and the success of the mission. So why would you bring that guy? You can leave him behind. I mean, it gets to the point where they'll have a Marine just pant rocks for four years. Like if they're that big of a liability. So I have a hypothesis about these individuals and I really want you guys to rake it. Whether you agree or disagree, be totally honest. I think people like that, we talked about how do you do trust and loyalty. They probably believe less in themselves, but they mm -hmm. personally, in my opinion, aren't all in on the mission. True. And a lot of the times in the Marine Corps, what happens is they're getting better at it is like so a young marine would get you know like an underage drinking and they give him enough paperwork where he his career is screwed now for three years and so he just loses what does it matter if i can't go anywhere if you, you got to give people an opportunity to correct their mistakes otherwise then they just lose because then the mission doesn't matter to them and when a personal loyalty either to yourself or to something else is greater than the mission that's when people we call it going internal you don't care about anything but yourself and that's when people get selfish and that's at least in my experience when people don't have an opportunity, then they get disgruntled, to like put it like that. And that, that perfectly says that then the, the personal mission is clearly not aligned with the nope. organizational right. mission. Mm -hmm. And and I think that there's just a tremendous amount of dysfunction out there in the professional private sector in that space. And it can start with a person coming out of college. You guys are going to graduate and taking a job because you need a job. You mm -hmm. got to pay bill. Yeah, and, and, one of the saddest things when I hear that sometimes. And you can you can get converted mm -hmm. and really care about the mission, or and it becomes your personal mission too. I really believe effort and alignment in the mission fixes a tremendous amount of. 
There are 15 other intensity multiplier mm-hmm. principles that matter, but in this particular one, I think it's, oh. does that I think true. Yeah. It's sport. It's it's hard to it's because it's like if you get a guy like what you're saying that is just coming here for a job, he's probably not gonna stay there for a while anyway. He's just looking for basically a stepping stone. So there you go. And you guys can't force people to sign a four-year contract. (laughs) Like I really am a believer you can't force intrinsic motivation at all. All All you can do is create the circumstances under which it can happen. They have to want to be there. I truly believe that. They have to want to be there. That's why they always can lead the horse to water, but you can't make a drink. That's like, we we have a joke. I have USMC tattooed on me. It's you sign the motherfucking contract. So at at some point, everybody outside of like a military draft, everybody wanted to be there at some point. And that reinforces it. Or like even... When we're do, doing jumping jacks, we'll go one, two, three, four. This is what we asked for. <laughs> and like something like <laughs> yeah. that. But like with sports, it's kind of like you get, I, I guess you could call it buy-in like to the team. It's like if they're just there and they're just like kind of trying it out, not saying a tryout, but like usually those people, like you said, they might be converted, but they might not. But those are, I would say when you have a long standing organization or like a team that it's, you're working towards something that takes multiple years, those guys are going to always fall through the cracks and be in the organization at some point anyway. And there's honestly not a lot to do with them, except to, you always got to give them the opportunity to succeed like others. But at a certain point, it's almost kind of like you can only do so much for them. And then they're going to make their own decision to not be a part yeah. of it. And I think the biggest thing a leader can do in the business world or sports is identifying those people as yeah. quickly as possible. You know, there's an intensity multiplier principle I call toughness. And mm. the two components are force and pain. Mm. I absolutely oh, love yeah. it. You I, get smarter, you get stronger. <laughs> well, there, there's a fellow I hope to get on one of the podcasts about that who said in this, I don't think he's the one that originated this but you have to be tough before you're good. Mm-hmm. Oh, I paraphrase what you said that I think is actionable in the private sector is you need to get your team members, the individuals to respond to the force. The force is different things. You could lose an employee. You could have a competitive thrust. You could have a customer complaint. Mm-hmm. My God, in a safety situation, it could have a lost time or a fatality. Those are forces on a business that cause mm-hmm. emotional, spiritual, and physical pain. Yep. It's if we react, in other words, the freak out, there's a great book. It's called Do Hard Things by Steve Magnus. I'd highly mm-hmm. recommend it. He covers it. I don't think it's complete. I love reading books that kind of support. He supports on the force end, and he talks a lot about the difference between learning how to, rather than react, you, you respond. respond. Yep. And when I listen to you guys, it's just going through my mind. I mean, you are tough because you don't freak out. It's And it comes through training. Training training is the best way to breed it because we call what we call Cooper's color code. Deliberate practice. You deliberate practice because it builds confidence. If you're confident, you're tough. You're building mental toughness by you might be failing a little along the way, but you're succeeding in the end. And we call it Cooper's color code. When a situation happens, when you're just like on a patrol and you're just walking, or if you're just, if we're just sitting here, we're all in what's called Cooper Colors Code White. Nothing's going wrong. You know, everything's all hunky-dory. Yellow is like if you're walking around at night, you're just a little more aware. Orange is where we want the Marines to be in combat. You are aware of everything that's going on, but you're responding. And you are doing what you're trained to do. Because when they say like Marines are robotic, it's because we have instant obedience to orders. And we have what we call IA drills, immediate action drills. Something happens. It might not be the right decision, but a decision is better than no decision. And you're immediately acting towards it. And your training will give you confidence to get through the bad things, like any if it's a complaint or whatever. You always have a baseline, and that will give people confidence. And then 
Cooper's color code black is when you're just reacting. It's when you just go internal and you're freaking out. And then you're not. So Megala's firing, right? And then you're just a fight no, or flight. Then you're just fight, a flight or with, with no thought. And then you're just a liability to yourself and others. And you're just your frontal lobe has shut down. Yep. That was with with medicine. That was one of the times I saw that full black situation where we had a mass cast come in. This guy was our he was our leader. He was a head medic, army medic, and he's never really dealt with something of that dude. And they bring in these casualties. These dudes are just absolutely fucked up. Ben's seen the photos. I mean, dudes are missing limbs, everything. Ugh. And he froze. And because I was in orange, which was act, I literally Spartan kicked him in the chest out of the way and then started directing. The only reason that that ever happened was because my leadership made sure that I was put in trainings and reps that I knew if shit goes down, I'm not reacting. I'm ready to respond. So I saw that he's failing his mission right now. I'm going to take, I like, and I have to take the helm. Like, you know, if you're, if you sure. as a CEO, what happens if the CEO's not there? Somebody's got to be ready to take the reins. And that's leadership of training that person below you. So I had that leadership teach me that so that when it happened, it no one even noticed until after it happened. It, it gives and Keely went, confidence because like Keely might not have known, like, because every medical situation is different. Like what he's no. saying is he has a baseline to start out with. He was responding and then he can go back to his training. He might not know like, oh yeah, I know exactly what to do for every 100% of things, yep. but he has an idea and he can make better decisions and he can at that point collaborate. I, oh, hey, this doc's better at this. Come over here, help me. When you have a baseline, and you have just an immediate response. What we do is we turn to, the, we call it contact. We turn, we get down and then we start buddy rushing forward. So you at least, no matter what happens, you don't really know what you're doing in the time, but you are at least on a baseline. And if you can just take that second, we call it like a tactical pause, that will get you through everything. Because the worst is when something instantly happens. That's when people freak out. But if you have, a, basically our immediate action goals are to combat the freak out. Mm-hmm. If we can just think about and train about, turn towards it, get down and then start moving forward. That happens before all others, any other action, before you even have to think. And that usually is good enough to defeat the meltdown. Uh, and Yeah, cognitive dissonance. And, and your amygdala firing and it shuts off your frontal lobe. Something for leaders to pay attention to, like when Keely saw that guy, because I've seen it too. It can happen to a person that's been in that situation too. It's hard to predict. And that's on the combat side, but usually when it does happen, it's either something somebody wasn't prepared for, or they've been in something for too long. Yeah, It's usually not the intensity, it's the unexpectedness or the, or the duration. Yeah. yeah. So bringing this all back to fellowship, and again, for the private sector, I mm-hmm. clearly deliberate practice mm-hmm. is yeah. very important. And the fact that you create situations where you actually force failure, you know, fail in a place where the consequence is lower. I'm not really a fan of a safe place because what we want to do is, using that term, it is we want to know that even though we make a mistake, it's a simulation, it's a practice, it's training, so that we can correct the situation there. Mm-hmm. And I think the human animal in general, you just have to get used to responding and to knock back that fire of, of hormones that brings in fight or flight so that you can respond. And yeah. I think you have to go through it. And so for a good example that we're just now starting to do is our, we're very technical people. We don't come out of our undergraduate and graduate studies in my company as salespeople in yeah. the classic sense. So in that situation, even picking up the phone, standing in front of people, you know, the old cliche of being afraid to give presentations, which is yeah true for most of us, at least it's at the, the beginning in America. 
yeah, at least at the beginning, fires that cognitive dissonance. So it's very important then to incorporate deliberate practice for your sales team so they can get over that and reach a point where they're comfortable. And when I look at our staff, we definitely have resources where nicely down that curve and others that are starting, but they'll all get there. Yeah, and, and, and now we can circle all the way back into fellowship, trust, and loyalty. Mm-hmm. It's super powerful when not the commander slash leader, whoever says it, but a peer says, hey, this works. Mm-hmm. That's again, a multiplying effect. So this is a way to bring it back. So I encourage listeners to figure out how to training, but use the concept of deliberate practice. Think like these military guys as far as bringing that in and you, you can make a positive difference, I think. And you know. speaking of encouragement, encourage the failure. Always uh, remind them to that we're doing it now so you don't do it when it matters. There you go. Because you encourage that failure because then they get confident and like, oh, I make a mistake, but this worked last time. So I'll do it this time. They get a little better and better. Encourage that failure and that let them know it's okay to like what you said, making mistakes. And it builds trust in the leadership because they see that their leader is there with them the entire way. Mm-hmm. And you're not abandoning them if they screwed up once because then you're not going to get anywhere. But yeah, encourage the failure because uh, then they'll be more confident to respond to something. Sure. Because they're not afraid of, usually it comes down to a fear of failure, failure, not making a mistake. And that's what sends people to freak out. Yeah, absolutely. So, you absolutely. Know, we fall so we can learn, learn to pick ourselves back up. Exactly. Yeah, if, you don't, if you never let them fall, and if they're afraid of falling, then they're never going to learn how to what happens when you do fall. Right. Right. Okay. We're going to talk about this die on the hill thing. I, yeah. My personal experience being out there in the professional world, I hear consultants, I hear trainers, I've read it in books, I, I, even maybe in Hollywood here and there, where there's this trying to use the analogy of the military in that the whole issue is trying to bring out is the fact that you don't leave your buddy on the hill, or you'll die for your buddy helping them off the hill. There's so much not covered when they use that. I think they've created dysfunction and frankly not made the whole vision in our visual in somebody's mind as productive as it could be. So I'd like you two to help us, all of us out here in the private sector, mm-hmm. fix this in light of what we're talking about in loyalty and trust in the concept of fellowship, because I think it has more, personally, my hypothesis that it has more to do with fellowship, trust, and loyalty mm-hmm. than it does with anything else, including maybe even the leadership. So right. I'd love to hear, but let's dissect that a little bit and correct it in a few minutes here if we could. Absolutely. So what, what I've heard in the past is the misuse, in my opinion, of the analogy of a significant issue happening in business that takes whatever attribute, capability, competence, commitment, accountability being, well, that's like military guys dying for each other on the hill, or we're trying to take the hill. And so they're using a military analogy to try to rally a team. They're trying to pull similarities mm-hmm. into some kind of an initiative to motivate people intrinsically to do something professionally. Right. And I just think there's a huge gap that never gets filled there. I think it's misused used quite often because my hypothesis is I think it has more to do with this fellowship, trust and loyalty than it does with anything else. Maybe the best way to say it is the mission changes in the mission. That example, and when I do the Apollo 13 podcast, that's pretty obvious, is the mission change 
in the mission and they had yeah. to get three guys right. home on instead with of, no air and no power instead of die on the hill tell yeah. them semper gumby yeah die always on the always be flexible semper gumby okay mm -hmm. and that's because the mission changes within the mission that's why the marine corps promotes small unit leadership because we don't need a general to tell us what to do i could make a decision perfect and that's based off confidence but then what i was going to say is that fellowship thing it's like symbiotic do you know what the term center of gravity is oh yeah so it's Al von clausewitz said it in his book on war he basically said it's where the enemy has their biggest strengths or their like it could be their communication lines or supply lines and that's where we mass our attack for a business i guess esprit de corps would be a good term that the culture make that your center of gravity because then the other things will follow through because then you won't even have to preach them to die on the hill because mm -hmm. if they already have that culture they're going to do it like what you were saying before about the alignment if it's gotten to the point of true alignment they'll die on a hill when something changes in the mission or not they'll do the right thing when it's the right reason at the right time because everything's aligned and it takes that culture at the bottom to build up to those actions. You don't just get a new guy that just enlisted and he hasn't even gone to boot camp and go die on a hill, but then after building him up, then they will figuratively or literally go take the hill. And part of me thinks that, and the Marine Corps does it too, it's like, you know, go take the hill, die on the hill. Some of that's just jargon and that sometimes might just come out of people being lazy and not fleshing out what they actually mean. Because if you give them a clear cut, like, let's go do this, you could say, take the hill, or you could say, let's go do this. And mm -hmm. it's at least that's my opinion. On right. it, but uh, Yeah, take the hill, I think, may have been originated back with the art of war, right? The high ground, you have an uh, advantage. Yeah. So it's harder to take the hill. And so they're trying to say difficult mission. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's, you know, it really isn't, it's really, especially like on a business aspect, it's not feasible to have a company that is willing to sacrifice its employees and their, even like their moral standards just to complete the mission. Mm -hmm. How many times, you know, how many missions does a company have a day oh, that could change yeah. in a phone call? And in the military, I mean, there, you know, he was regarded as this, you know, amazing leader, chest, a chesty puller. But he was not, they don't talk about the fact that he said he was willing to trade in. He was willing to trade in a sea bag of dog tags for a medal of honor. He was fully believing in dying on the hill and that he was willing, as long as he, the mission was completed, he didn't care how it happened and that or it had to be done. And he didn't care what, what was lost in that. And, it, and to me, that was terrifying to think like this guy, it's like, that he was revered as this incredible person, but you know, and is not, and to me, that's not a good leader. Whereas that you apply that to the business aspect of, you know, being able to say, all right, well, okay, we come to this, we have a mission, something happened. How, and like you said with the Apollo, like, all right, now, you know, the original mission was getting them, you know, home safe and sound, everything's good to go. Boom. Technical failures happen. What do we do? Yeah. And that's where the training comes and, in, the confidence. And then what do they call it? The oodle loop? Or oodle? The oodle loop? Yeah. It's, it's basically like as a leader, if something happens, and this is why leadership should be ingrained through the whole culture, because then like you don't have to be there to make the decision of somebody's like, okay, what's the situation and how can we handle it with the least amount of loss to resources or people or whatever you don't want to lose? Like basically minimize the negatives, maximize the positives, even, even if there's going to be a lot of shitty negatives and, you know, it's just, let's do the best thing possible. And then sometimes it does come down to, it's not feasible or just worth it to try whatever because it's going to be too much of a detriment but yeah the, i think again like with the whole die on the hill i think it, the fellowship is if you truly have a fellowship of workers or a fellowship of teammates or whatever the dying on the hill is going to come secondary they're going to do that anyway 
because of their alignment and their well, they care about the mission and they, they yeah, believe they, in and it. They, yeah, and then they care about the other people contributing to the mission. I think that if you have to tell people to go take the hill, then you're just telling people to go take the hill. If you're telling people that our mission is this, they're going to be taking that hill in the process of the greater mission. So it's, and I think, and they understand, they, they see why. Yes, they, yeah, they, and they also have the capacity and the competencies to likely be successful. They'll trust themselves that they, and that's, that yeah. they can, like, oh, like Paul said, go take the hill. Well, yeah, we can totally do it. Let's do it this way. And that's why, if the culture is there, they'll figure out themselves. They'll almost be excited to do it because they'll know that they're confident. Well, it all comes back down to that trust aspect because, you know, especially being loyal, loyal to the mission, loyal to each other, and then loyal to the leader's, you know, direction. If they trust you, they will be loyal, you know, and hopefully they will be loyal to what, you know, the idea, like the end goal is. So if the leader then shows that trust back to them saying, this needs to be done, I trust you guys to get it done. Mm -hmm. And actually I mean, saying and, that, and actually saying, saying that, that, I mean, the amount of times that in the not in the civilian world where I've not heard that, and you watch just the degradation of you know spree de corps, no one cares about business. So you're like, oh well, it's the smaller yeah. things that lead to that. Like when yeah. so, like Q said, like, oh, I trust you guys to do that. Even saying something small is like, oh, I trust you, Keely, to go do that. It's amazing how much that will just change somebody's outlook on it because then they feel a sense of ownership in the mission instead of just, well, I'm just told to do this and I have to go do it. No, it's like you are relying on me to go get this done. General James Mattis said, true leadership is when people under you fight with a cheerful or happy heart. They trust you enough where they're, they are eager to do whatever you want them to do because they trust that you are setting them up for success and that they can do it. No. Well, yeah, so was, one uh, component Mattis is referring to is in fact correct. fellowship. Yeah. And because that's present. Oh, Not the only one, of course, but it's present. And, and I, yeah, go ahead. No, it was just with like, and being with snipers too, like that was even more zoomed in on mm -hmm. when they tell a team, all right, you need to be, you need to take, like, you need to get up on this mountain nine times out of 10, we're getting inserted at the base of it. So now we've got a four hour hike up mountain with, you know, hundred plus pounds of gear. Wants to do the sexy stuff until they find out how to get sexy. And I would just, it's, yeah, I would, but it's, I would just put myself in the okay. Right. And they, <laughs> um, and they, you know, they would drop us off and, you know, our end mission was establish a hide provides surveillance target acquisition, which is why they call it stay platoon, S-T-A, surveillance target acquisition. Because so, you guys just stayed there. I'm not even kidding. No, <laughs> most people. Oh, oh my God. God. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, it's it really, you know, because then that mission was set, but we were told by Flambert being, you know, our commanding officer and then our battalion colonel, who's the big, the big cheese. I trust you guys to get this done. We gave him what we were, our plan was and he goes, trust to get it done. And we had, you know, A through Z. And because we believed in the mission and what needed to be done, but we also believed in ourselves to get it done, the amount of laughing and just like small giggling at night, like under dark, that we were just, yeah, we, it sucked hiking that, but we were so excited to get up to our position, get settled in, because at the end of the time, and I told Ben about this, there is a one specific exercise that no battalion has actually completed because it just so many working parts needed to happen but because our platoon believed in the mission and made it happen with just our end it promoted the other missions that needed to be happening so that when it got done we get done to our end and our index and we do our debrief and they went i cannot believe that you guys did this and our flamber goes yeah i had no doubt and it wasn't him saying 
I knew what I was doing. He went, I had no doubt of my guys. Yeah, it was a, it was a compliment. An- another thing up too is like they unreal. The it one thing cool. is yeah. like you have to acknowledge like the people under you too, but like also it's not like every you can be totally aligned with like the macro mission. But there's gonna be a day-to-day stuff that you're just not totally aligned with. Like you just might have a bad day and you're like, screw yeah. this. But and as a leader, when you give an order where like it's like go clean your room, it's yeah, it's just gonna suck. You have to acknowledge that to them, like, hey guys, I know it sucks. Or and then you don't have to every time, but if they see you doing the dirty work with them, sometimes that helps. But if you just acknowledge that it's gonna suck and then acknowledge that when they complete it that they did a good job and that they did it together that's pretty much all people under you can ask for yeah. as long authentic, as just it's, it's an acknowledgement authentic not bold that yeah yeah and don't yeah don't the appro- appropriate amount of acknowledgement for the job and yeah, yeah, and yeah, appro- yeah so I, when you're you're going up to a hill be a sniper versus cleaning your room both very important but that particular commander would have a different Right, but accurately assess what they're going into and what they did. Well, that was my first time, Paul, really being put into that leadership role was, again, great example. My leader was actually taking care of something with his family. His baby's being born. So they went, That's a weird mission. (laughs) Interesting mission. Yeah. And uh, we had to do this whole big thing where we had to go through medical records and because it gets checked, like a full team goes through it anyway. And we have within a company, you know, hundreds and hundreds of medical records to go through. And it, you know, it takes forever. And I got thrown into that leadership position of like, all right, Kitsman, get it done. It needs to be done by this time tomorrow, get it done. And he gave me, you know, two days. And I looked at my, and I sat there, I thought about it. I'm like, all right, realistically, we could hammer this out. It's going to be a late night, but at the end of the day, we're going to be done and we don't have to worry about it. And I brought it up to my boys. And like you said about the appropriate acknowledgement of it, this is going to suck. I went in there and Flamber had told me, if you know it's going to suck, be there with them doing it. Or at least, it, you know, like you're part of it. They see face, show face in it. And I went up to the boys and I said, hey guys, so we got records. My plan is that we're just going to finish it out. We're probably going to be here till about nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. But once we get these records done, we're done. Yeah, mission mission, the mission accomplished. No and I said, how's that sound to you guys? And they went, roger that. And I went, all right, good to go. Let's do it. And next thing you know, and by the time it was just like amazing thing for me, like my true first like administrative leadership role versus like do I could do it easily with medical stuff, but like doing it like nice. bullshit paperwork. Yeah. And seeing the guys, we're sitting there laughing, coking and joking, but we're cranking out stuff, making sure it's like by government law perfect. And we're just cranking everything out. We're the only company to get done. So then the next morning, they're like, all right, so like how much you got left? And I said, Yeah, we're done. And what Kiwi right. did was what I was saying before. He said, this is where we are. This is what needs to happen. And this is what's in it for you. So, like, we have these records. They need to be done. Then yeah. they'll be off and there'll be nothing left. As long as that's – I mean, that's literally all people need. Establish they, 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 don't, they don't – yeah. You just give Tell people what you want them to do and how to do it. And then tell them that you appreciated their work when it's done. However significant the job is. Because it's right. like when we talk about mission, he would have handled that the same way as he would something in combat. Which it, – so it applies to the whole thing. Because – People don't like to be bullshitted no matter the stakes and they don't like to, and then they like to be acknowledged no matter the stakes. So we bring this, those are excellent comments. Mm-hmm. We bring it back to fellowship again and die on the hill versus take the hill used appropriately yeah. makes more sense to me when there is a, first of all, fellowship is a foundational principle that allows you to make a change in the mission, mm-hmm. you know, a new mission within a mission. So die on the hill is different than take the hill. Yep. I would recommend to the world and with your guys' approval is absolutely is take the hill means something like your admin job where you're trained to be a medic. And now we have competencies, we have a team, 
we trust each other, we do the best we can, we execute, we're done. Mm -hmm. Die on the hill to me in the private sector. So that's something different I don't normally do. Right. That yeah. I'm asked to do, but I understand how it fits the mission. Die on the hill to me would be like, you, there's no other option. You, this is where this, this is our standard. Exactly. This is where we cut it off, and you will not do anything but this. And so the leader you're talking about that would, you know, count dog tags instead of rather have a medal is sometimes appropriate for the situation. Correct. Correct. Like I'm in my mind, I'm thinking those guys that went on D-Day, you know, the first boat, the whatever those amphibious machines were in their oh, props. God, yeah, hundred percent casually, right? In my world, it's critical path. Yeah. So the critical path means we have to find a way, and you guys are very nicely recommending, I mean, very effectively recommend and nicely mm -hmm. recommending that you utilize the team to get that done. You make decisions, you're trained, and you're trusting that if you're the one asked to die on the hill means it's critical path. It doesn't mean die on the hill. No, no. It means you're going to not standing your quit until the objective is handled. You're digging your heels is, in, and that's so. And, that's, and I think some. I mean, to all fairness out there for the professional world, I yeah. do think it's been used this way before. But right, it typically I've used it too much in terms of leadership, where the leadership in the unit that has to take the hill or die on the hill mm -hmm. definitely it is going mm -hmm. to have I, leadership attributes. But in terms of a macro, no, it's within the mission. It's when the mission changes or you're asked to do something that's out, typically outside your responsibility. I think a good way to put Does that make sense? So we can demarcation that. line. It's yeah. like when die on the hill means like for leadership, it should be like anything but this is just simply not going to happen. It's just not what your mission is. It's not the standard you are going to. It's either we're going to complete it or we will die on this hill. Either we're going to like when you said like. A, like a critical path or like if there's like a technological failure, the hill to die on is the problem. And to die on the hill means either it's complete failure or you complete it. Yes. So, and and I, I'm after, I think in that case, die on the hill, I think fellowship is a key component. If I had three units, three departments, three groups of four people. Yeah, you got to care enough to I, die on a hill. <laughs> but well, that yeah. for sure. Remember we said that's from alignment. I would pick the one that fellowship's really strong. That's what I meant. You have to have so the, the trust love. and loyalty yeah. is just off the charts. All else equal, I'm going to pick the one that oh, 100%. the fellowship is way up there because I know they can communicate. They can work together. They're, they're going to follow all the training. They're going to respect the decision-making authority of the leader. The goal of Does that make sense? Yep. That's so, where I wanted well, to get I mean, to. How easy, how easy is it for you as a leader within your organization of when you make that call that is promoting the fellowship and they, and I mean, how many times have you seen it where they not only hit the mark, but they, they actually exceed exceeded the mark the butt, and, butt. and it makes it easier. I mean, I did it for me in the military and other just jobs that I've done where it makes it easy. And in my thought process is if you want to be the boss, wouldn't it be nice to make it easy when it's like, yeah, this is easy being the boss with the team that I have because we've created such a fellowship that now the hard stuff that's that's almost fun and they don't even have to be told you, you don't have to tell them that's key yeah yeah it's because of everything we're talking about their own intrinsic initiative they, they want to do it because they know because it's the hill worth dying on they know it's right and they they agree with it and they believe it and then they believe in themselves and the people with them it's basically saying they don't care how it happens but we're gonna get that and we're, yeah. we're gonna and that's hard to get to that level of fellowship but once you have a fellowship it's like lord of the rings the bonds are not equally or easily oh. broken and so it's once you have a fellowship almost don't touch like let, let them yeah. go and let them teach others because yeah 
it's like wanting the ball. It's like wanting to be the team on the field in a critical situation. Like hockey, you have lines. You want to be the line on there. Yeah, and that's why competition uh, is good in a company. And those groups of your your four, what do you call them? Patrol? What, what do you call four guys again? Fire team. Fire team. So four fire teams. They're all wanting it. Yep. Right? They're all wanting it. And, oh, but yeah. then the ones that don't get it don't mope and are pissed off because the one got it because they probably all know why. Oh, that was, I mean. And so yeah. that identifies a skill gap that they train for to fill so they get the mission next time. They want you. Is that be, correct? They want you to oh, be constructively pissed off. That was. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it will be pissed off, but it'll be like to, to well, be better. If you want it, be better. Well, that was. With, don't, don't be sorry, be better. With my. There you go. With my regular platoon. Nice quote, man. That was great. <laughs> that was <laughs> awesome. With my regular platoon, that exact thing happened. We, you know, we trained and trained because we had seniors that gave a shit and they didn't grind us down and make us train when it wasn't, you know, feasible because I, I had been part of something like that and there was no fellowship. We didn't give a shit. But then when you had the guys that were grinding us because they were making us better and creating that, like, so instead of just this sense, nonsensical training because just to training sake, but they're like, hey, guys, we get this done. We will be the platoon they call up. And sure, shit, when shit went down on my first deployment, what platoon do they pick up? And those Our guys platoon. are good because they do that out of us. When you get it to a true fellowship, when we, actually, that's that goes into the fellowship. But the culture, when you get leaders like that, they're doing it that out of a sense of duty and responsibility. When they can start doing like smaller leadership and going above and beyond then that's when you're going to get that group that'll go die on the hill because like when people feel responsible like to like hey it's on us to go do whatever and like hey we're the ones we're picked we better do it to not let down other people that expect it that's when you have like a true like fellowship that's outstanding so the die on the hill is a result yes of correct. doing everything else right it's, it's not like a tertiary secondary you can't yeah, it. it's not a it's not the motivational mm -hmm. it's the result of everything else that motivated me yeah it's hard you to know? get a group of people like like even literally willing to die on a hill together unless you have that fellowship you ask like a group of snipers or something to go die on a hill together they'll be like which hill Right. But, yeah. but then like probably the one you have to walk way up but yeah. but then like but if you don't then that's when you start seeing what you're talking about before when personal loyalties kind of usurp like the fellowship yeah. that's when you don't have that but if you can have that fellowship then then it's just a matter of which hill that's awesome so let's get to the point for useful information that are actionable ideas for our listeners to improve trust and loyalty because i again i think the manager slash leader a big part of their role is to develop fellowship which means increase trust and increase loyalty i think we beat to death the idea of deliberate practice yeah. so we don't have to talk about that anymore but it deliberate practice and repetition clearly is something we need to do but with eyes wide open you guys were talking about everybody's watching everybody else and then you come together, you improve really from anybody on the team, leaders, subordinate, peers, come together, improve the process, repeat, keep refining it right up till the mission. So it's the very best it can be before you go. Mm -hmm. So we got that one. But some other things that come to mind, for instance, I'd like you guys to briefly comment. I think one thing that needs to happen to improve this is, is authentic and timely information sharing. Oh, my God. Because we're going to hammer in. We have 11 to go through, so we want to mm -hmm. just a minute or two each. If yeah. you guys would comment on information sharing's importance in terms of developing trust and leadership, because that's an actionable thing that 
most our listeners can do right away. Yeah. I mean, I, for me, it would be, I mean, it, you, you've, we've always heard that classic, this, this meeting could have been an email. And I think when you really think about it, like implementing that as a practice is that I think there is a point of understanding is, is the information you're passing something they don't, they don't know. Cause I think it, it almost comes off as to me, it, busy it's work. not even busy work. It's almost insulting. Yeah. It's you're like, saying you, it to say you, it. You didn't think I knew that Paul? Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, Hey Keely, make sure you breathe when we're talking. It's like, what you know and i feel like i've heard i've heard plenty. That, that, that's an appropriate place for me to interject that all the principles we're talking about yeah i'm trying to get better at myself so right. i mean it's really hard to be good at everything yeah and that's one reason th this whole concept fascinates me because i have skill gaps there that i want to fill but also coaching when we go through these kind of dissertations in deep dive on fellowship, um, it lets me coach better. It's like the coach of any NFL team isn't as good as the quarterback. He might know what quarterback should do, but he can't throw the ball. Right. So I aspire to be a better coach and advisor and really get my people good and certainly do my my piece. And but I just want to interject best that. Best actionable way to do that, yeah. which you just did, education. Educate it's self education, which for is for information dissemination, correct, because you can't share any new information if you don't learn any new information. Nope. Excellent. And it's like what Q said it, give them what they need to know. The, the five W's, I mean, that might be overset a lot in all walks of life, but it's literally that's the most effective. Keep it short, keep it sweet, and keep it simple. And then don't fluff. And then, but like inauthentic information, in no bullshit. Yeah. No. And, and if you do share wrong information, admit it and then say, this was wrong, I will find out the correct answer or here is the correct answer. Because everybody makes mistakes, yeah. but then like, but sharing of information, it keeps everybody in the loop. You know, not only just are they learning, they feel involved. Yeah. Even if they don't like, not like to the extent of Keely, like, I didn't need to know this, but even if it's not really in their job, but it's part, but if it's related to them, they still feel involved like enough for like, oh, I got included on this. And yeah. And the flip side of that, because remember we talked about toughness and responding is also trusting the management slash leadership to disseminate the right information and be okay if you didn't hear everything. Yes. Because everything is going to overwhelm and probably add inefficiencies. I think it's more appropriate to share more dying on the hill than taking a new hill. Yep. For instance, the higher the stakes and the intensity of the situation, there's a trade-off between too much information and being included. So someone on a team organization that trusts the ability of management or the holder of the information to get it to the right person doesn't whine when they don't hear the same thing. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And in other words, okay, I maybe they found out after the fact yeah, it's okay. It wasn't in that loop. I see why it wasn't in that loop rather than pouting. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I'm this, being yeah. a little bit over dramatic, but I've run into that in my 40s. A, right? a good thing to ask in, in private company. A good right. thing to ask yourself before communicating or in like when you're doing your little hindsight, like could I have done for the words, if an order can be misunderstood, it will be misunderstood. I need work on that one. And because like, <laughs> and that's how you can kind of help. And now it's always a learning process because it's like sometimes you question, did I send too much information or not enough? If, and you're always only as strong as your weakest link. If your weakest link can understand it and stuff, you've communicated. You're there. Enough. You've communicated enough and effectively. Yeah. If there yes. is even a question, one of the best ways is just ask, did everybody understand it? Does anybody no. have any questions? Because there's nothing wrong with, we always say there's no stupid questions. Right. The only one that's stupid is the one that you didn't ask. ask. And right. if you're thinking it and <clears throat> ask it, there, I guarantee you somebody else was. No, and, excellent. 
Uh, and, and there are some pretty stupid uh, questions. <laughs> you know, we could probably do a podcast on all of these. Uh, another yeah. one I want to get to is start early. And in terms of the idea of fellowship, and that's where student athletes come in. Yes. And so, okay, we're beyond high school and such, but we can work on our athletic student athlete type benefits if we're on a, you play D3 football after, mm-hmm. or you can join a club team or mm-hmm. You can be in the soccer league on Tuesday nights or something. And so you can still practice those. But what I'm really getting, so that's one way to do it. And I really encourage that. I think that's a big part of being a fit professional, being a complete professional, but starting early. So the parents out there, the listeners with kids, student athletics, man. It's huge. It's probably the biggest thing. Because remember what I said? For fellowship, we're talking about. For fellowship, remember what I said? When we got out of the military, we craved the fellowship. You start them early, they will always be seeking fellowship because they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And it makes them a more empathetic. It makes them a more unselfish person. It makes them a harder worker because they're more, they they crave to be part of something. They want to do well. And they will take that personal initiative to get there, to be a part of something, to complete a mission. And then there's the corollary in a sport like football Mm -hmm. or hockey, where you have lots of contact, all the things in that sport that like you said earlier, I think that it teaches the light bulb went off when you got to the military in a bigger way, but yeah. it's the same, it's all same kind of, most of what we've been talking here today, right? Mm-hmm. It goes back oh, in time, absolutely. an earlier point in time that makes you even more likely to succeed understanding how to support yeah. this, how to utilize it, how to multiply and it. It teaches them responsibility. I think the biggest thing for humans to have is you got to learn that like people are counting on you. And that can be in any way. If you're just being counted on solely to do one thing and you're not part of like an offensive line or something, you'll be more apt to do that if you've experienced like youth sports and stuff like that. Anything that you can get your kids to be in that makes them a part of a group that have to work together to achieve something, even if it's like getting your own, like if you have three or four kids and get them to go clean the yard and then you tell them, you know, you acknowledge it when they see the benefits of what working together does, that that helps a lot. And Yeah. Yeah, Excellent. So the next two, I'm going to combine understanding the role, both from the leadership, designing the roles and filling the roles correctly. Also, the person in the role in the sports world, I call it the depth chart player. I think ultimately, Mm -hmm. you know, you guys in the military, you're definitely depth chart guys. You weren't the generals. Right. And how important that is. So important. But the attribute is create the culture and the training and the information dissemination to create the intrinsic motivation for the depth chart player or whatever role to constantly work on knowledge, skills, and disciplines that improve their capability and competencies so that they can contribute to the mission. So that is actionable, I think, in a professional space. Oh, yeah. If you think about it, I mean... It's hard to do because a lot of times, like what you said, it's... Perfect. Like we're just some dude out there and it's hard to see the macro level, but if, if there is a way to show your employees the bigger picture, I don't know what that looks like in a business. They have to see it something. They have to see success outside their job. Like the company's doing well or whatever that might be. And then I always used to tell our guys, like it takes one snowflake to start an avalanche. So like the depth chart guys, it's like, yeah. it's like, you might not be the big guy, but it takes everybody. And, mm-hmm. but like also depth chart guys, it's like, Actually, Charlie is a good example. Practice squad in football. Those guys are making the starters better. That, mm-hmm. And they're there every day. And you have, and it goes back to the acknowledgement. But everybody's role in a company is important. And if their role isn't important, that's because the leadership has created a worthless role. Excellent. 
Excellent comment. Absolutely. Next one I want to cover, and we're just trying to stay under two hours here, but mm -hmm. I sure hope everybody's listened to the end. This is the Fit Professional Podcast, and boy, we're really doing a deep dive on fellowship and learning just a ton. So again, here on actionable items, I use the term recover. So recover together. You mm -hmm. talked about the barracks and I'd say recover and celebrate together. Seems that, like that's easy to implement. And that's actually something the Marine Corps struggles with. Very much. Okay. So. so when we get oh, back God, from yeah. deployment, a lot of guys either get out or they'll go to a new unit. And a lot of like the PTSD problems and stuff, well, there's been a couple of studies that have shown that it's not guaranteed to help, but like a, a time to like what you said, recover, decompress, recover together. Because if you're together during the mission, you should be there after to celebrate together. And that's actually something that is a negative thing in the military that they should probably work on. I don't know how that would be. Well, yeah. the corollary of that might be in business that if the enemy's making a move and you have to counter, you don't get your recovery. In business, if your competition's doing something or you have a deadline and you just have to get back to it, I actually cover that. I have a blog out there on chronic fatigue syndrome. And also I'll be putting one out there on threshold performance, which is like as balls out as you can go for as long as you can go. But boy, you can do that, but then you got to recover. I mean, the World War II version was Patton and his tanks doing the rush, but I more practical for all of us. It should be fairly easy to implement whereby, for instance, our company, we do try to have we have a fun coordinator. It's Emily. Mm -hmm. We've done bowling. We've gone to a bar and just had some beers. Mm -hmm. And they've been after kind of milestone quarterly meetings and things like that, where people were, you know, they were nervous. They prepared well. They did a great job. Now we get to sit down yep. and talk and, about and it. And you acknowledge that. And another oh, thing yeah. too is to prevent the fatigue is like what we were talking about before of like training all the people to the same standard that they're competent to complete the mission. That's why they cycle units on deployment. It's so that they don't get that fatigue. If, if you should be able to trust one employee in a section to just do another person's and so on and so forth. And just make sure that the same people, like when it's time to grind, it's time to grind, but make sure it's not always that section. Yeah, you got it. So practically in our private corporation space, then we want to maybe take a look at our cross training and see if we can enhance yes, that. Yes, cross training because then mm -hmm. it doesn't always and, have to be one guy showing And it's here. very difficult in a low profit margin industry to have redundancies, but to the extent you can have redundancies, absolutely. So that that's what I heard. And I hope yep. the listener takes that. And if you can't cycle out the employee of always having to do the difficult thing, will then try to innovate it so that that thing isn't as difficult or like what I, like if i don't know how to put that in business terms but it's like if we always have to do these expense reports or whatever maybe try to like simplify that i don't uh, well I, engineering principles are divided yeah. into small manageable parts yeah make it then efficient. create procedures on those and then train on those fundamentally peter drucker from 1940 in the whole science of industrial engineering, which essentially won World War II. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they made cars with it in Japan and really made nice low cost cars. But anyway, the next one is just in terms of moving along here is the concept of those positive drop-ins, which is appropriately an authentic acknowledgement. No. Yeah. Also with purpose. So that's something that's easy to pick up. It's not one of my strong points. I actually have a measure where I got to get off away from my computer and get out and talk to people more. But there's a whole bunch underneath that. And that's an easy one for the listener to start right now. When they're done with this podcast, they could get up from their desk or if they're listening to it while they're fixing supper, do it tomorrow. It's yeah, I call it the give a shit. 
like you gotta have the givership crucible yeah. if you have to force yourself to do it why are you in that leadership position like if you have to force yourself to go give a shit about who's working for you and then you can do the purpose and care about the person you can just you know hey keely how's your family oh what are you doing how is that going for you is there anything do you need my if you ask them if do you need my help making it easier on you or that you yeah. don't have to go any farther than that. i think that's spot on we yeah. just want to acknowledge small companies that are understaffed and overwhelmed yep. and it, it, so it, the lack of PDIs might be that as opposed to and it can be a jerk. However small the PDI is, as long as that's why I count them. You got to get out there. It's showing face, and I think too is count them. I have initials, and I put a little tick mark. Holy crap! I haven't seen anybody for a week. That's my reality. And it's also too, and when it's not staged. Yeah, you know where it's, it's authentic, it's not a dog it's, and pony. It's, it's not so, yeah. yeah, it's like they do that with whatever. Like, oh, we have like a mandatory fun event, which we always did. Yeah, it's the only time I've seen the freaking colonel this whole time. Dude, kind of knows my name, but that's it. And I'm like, well, he, I, mean, I know he doesn't right. really care. Meanwhile, I have Flambert who just would show up at a, you know no given time. I wasn't told he's gonna be there, and then he's just like, hey, how you doing? Like, what do, what do we got going on here? And it, like, just something like that made and it so much. And now you know it's completely deliberate. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> I mean, it's and, and for like it's a, very, very important. For like yeah. a big company. And it meant a lot to, it meant a lot to you. Oh, yeah. I mean, and even talk about a big company, you might not know everybody's employees by name or like the general probably doesn't know my name, but if you just look at them and say, how are you doing? Because you might not be able to say it to all 1,500 people, but people will see you do that to right. someone on their level. And it's right. almost just as good. Yep. So the next one we covered, maybe even beat to death a little bit, is the concept of closing skill gaps or close also accountability gaps. And that's very important. And it comes from everywhere. It's not just top down, bottom up here. It's everywhere all the time. But what really matters on that is creating acceptance at all levels that that's not a bad thing. That's a positive thing. Mm -hmm. No, it's because your work or your workspace, it could be I would say start small, start with like appearances, workspace, stuff like that. And then let people know it is a direct reflection of yourself and your company, because how do you think perception is reality? If you look good, you play good, get the whole Deion Sanders quote, but it's like you preach accountability on all levels. So it doesn't seem like you're just trying to harp on like, let's make sure everybody comes to this meeting one day. It's no, it's accountability on every level, but not so much where it seems like it's beaten over the, the head because it will be, but it's spread out. Because mm-hmm. then people mm-hmm. just get tired of hearing the same thing over. But if you were like, and it's, it's <laughs> small corrections, because then it, it, you have to do it to the point where people are, they have pride instilled in making the corrections and looking for it in themselves, but not to the point where it creates like a fear-based, mm-hmm. like perfection, yeah. robotic, like kind of mm-hmm. work environment. Because then, yeah. then you're just going to go the other way. Yep. And then another one was grind together, which kind of is an yeah. offshoot of deliberate practice, but... Yeah. You guys said embrace the suck, I think. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it was. And what Keely said, show your face. Even if you're not doing exactly what they're doing, show up and be like, I really appreciate what you guys are doing. This sucks, doesn't it? Just acknowledge it. That's grinding together. And then make sure that the people are grinding. The recovery goes into that. But I think Keely said in showing face, just maybe once in a while, or just how do you do that? Because then it shows that you are invested in however important the task is. <laughs> <laughs> it shows, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it shows that you actually care. And that's just as much as if you doing like filling a sandbag with them. It's just as good. And that's the grind thing. You said like grinding together, racing the sock, you know, and that, and it doesn't even have to be something that really truly sucks. It could just be something that's just monotonous, tedious. But because you're doing it together, you know, that it takes away. I mean, the worst thing for a human being to happen is because human beings 
crave connection. Mm -hmm. You take away, if you isolate somebody, they're going to be worthless for you, you know, mm -hmm. to you. And, and that's why when you said celebrate the, the goods together, they're all connected. And what Keely keeps saying is together. Just make sure whatever they're doing, it's together. Together. Because then the good, then it's the good and the bad. And that's the fellowship. They're going to be here during the good and the bad times. And mm -hmm. we're going to work together. You saw that in Band of Brothers when they, you know, that guy got punished and he got told to run up Curry by himself. What happened? Everyone just showed up behind him and ran with him. And like, that's you why you, you can't ask for anything more than that. That's why the Marine Corps, if you right. screw up, they don't punish you. They punish the group. So <laughs> then everybody cares. They do punish so it's group punishment. Yeah. So the next one is always be on the lookout or observing what you can do, like as personal responsibility with enthusiasm, where you can apply your competencies and capacity to help the mission. So you do your role first, but if you have any slack time or discretion, discretionary time mm -hmm. yet you don't put your feet up what do you do yeah just be i mean it's, it's have a, something to offer it's, but like what you said before but don't do it just to do it and waste people's time do it because it could serve a purpose and now, it helps the mission and it helps the mission yes or not for false chips but yeah you mm -hmm. owe me one not mm -hmm. for that either yeah it, it, there can't be a hidden meaning behind it it's like, like even if it doesn't directly apply to them people can tell if you're being earnest that you're it's because you care. Even if you're teaching him, like, like teaching Keely something on the computer that he might not ever use, but it could, he might have to teach it to somebody in his department. Mm -hmm. As long as it's useful and that you care about it, it doesn't even have to be that. Self-improvement is one of those ones, you know, as a leader, self-improvement is, I mean, one of the crux, like the true core values of a leader is that they're, you're, like you said, you're not putting your feet up, you know, I mean. Like when you look at the podium, you know, somebody's on first place. I mean, there's always more. Actually, mm -hmm. I take back what I said. That's a better idea. Like you know, self-education. Like, you, like you said, like you're acknowledging the fact that you have gaps. Yeah. And don't rest on your board. You know that you failed as a leader if you went, no, I'm pretty much set. Like that's and not a good thing. Biggest failure. We know leaders that do that. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah honestly, yeah. doing things like this or just reading books on leadership or reading like history books. That's, I mean, it's. Yeah. Just continuing education. Because at a certain point, when you've been a leader a long enough time, you're probably either in or experienced or, or going to, when you start having to transition, like focus more on passing off the knowledge instead of, I mean, you're always going to be looking to gain new knowledge, but it's also like long-term instead of like, what can I do for them today or whatever? How can I, what do they call it when it spreads? Like multiple. I might teach something. Yeah. Multiply. Multiply. <laughs> yeah, no, Jesus. Uh, and I'd be like, intensity multiplier. I'll teach something Keely today, yeah. but he'll teach others. And so it's like a pyramid scheme, but actually yep. applicable. Yeah, yeah, it works. Ab absolutely. Absolutely. And the last one takeaway is I believe that professional or private companies companies, for-profit companies can figure out ways to get individuals to measure their own effort. I don't think it's a boss measure. I think it's an individual measure. And it can be a simple, I actually do it on every time card every day, zero through 10. And I gauge that. I just watch it for my own feedback. I can tell if I had a good week. If I have all seven, eights, and nines, I don't remember giving myself a 10 because I'm, you know, that's a good week. If I have two, threes, fours, something's going on. Maybe I was sick. Maybe I didn't see anybody that week. I had zero tick marks and ours positive drop-ins. But I believe in what you guys were talking about, that's going on in everybody's head. There is an awareness of their effort level relative to the expectation of the group. And so maybe it doesn't need to be measured. What I'm saying in the private sector, I think often there isn't this acceptance. There's kind of like, what are you doing for me lately, company? What are you doing for me lately, boss? As opposed to what can I do to deliver the mission within the available time I have or within the quality and qualitative and quantitative aspects of my role. To 
to be yes. honest with it. I think it, you have to give them, instead of saying something to measure, because not everybody's just going to go improve themselves out of the goodness of their hearts to improve. This is true. Most, this is true. Most people just won't. Like if you give them something to obtain, they'll figure out what they need to put in for that effort to obtain it. Something yeah. realistic. And I think that's probably just a better way than hoping everybody's going to just improve to, for improvement's well, sake. Not hoping, but having get your staff in someone. What you said is a way to get them to do this. Yeah, give them so a care. I, give I them a totally, care stick. Totally, in my years, absolutely think what you said is absolutely true and that most people don't think this way. Mm -hmm. I think it's more than just 51%. I think it's a big majority of people don't necessarily think, how is my effort level at my job today? But you guys, when you're doing your mission, when you're on patrol, it's a, called a debrief. Yeah. Yep. And it's actually formalized into the process. Yep. But what I've gathered from you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're also kind of doing your own debrief in your head. Yeah. Well, well it's because it permeates to you. Like, they, no, nobody ever told us to, like, debrief in our own head. But we do, like, monthly counseling where it's basically a – we do a debrief after a mission. Basically, like an anything, appraisal. It's basically, like an appraisal. Yeah, after – it's a way more extreme level than military. Basically, after anything you do, somebody will tell you how you did it. <laughs> like, good job. So the that. performance feedback. Yeah, and then – Those lives are at stake. Yeah, and you'll start doing it yourself because yeah. – and then – so I think that goes into the fellowship thing when people are like, you're in perfect alignment with like what your company is and like what you want that. So you're already on your own making that, how much effort do I have to give you? So we're back. So to it goes back to that. Alignment. So if you get that fellowship, they're going to create that own checklist. So, of, so on the road. last thing I would take away is when you guys sign up for the military, there's a huge amount of alignment right there. When a high school kid plays D1 football, there's a huge alignment with the football Correct. program. So the very first thing is hire for alignment. Yes. Figure yeah, out yeah. how to check that, make sure they're aligned. Once they're in, if you can come up with a way where they'll have the convictions these guys talked about as far as a self-assessment, even if it's informal, I'm just saying if you can pull that off, I think it's really important because what do we know? We know that we, we all agree effort trumps talent. E effort makes your talent look more. I mean, mm -hmm. that's what most of us do through hard work. Because not everybody is self-disciplined or the very best. You know, yeah, you're not gifted. Wayne enough. Gretzky. I would you know, not take... everybody's Gretzky. Yeah. And I think Gretzky got to the way he was because of effort. Yeah. Like, like yeah. And that's, I mean, it works perfectly yeah. with that because, right. I mean, how many of those guys do you hear? You never hear anyone talk about the guy who had all the talent in the world, but he's not here. Yeah. Right. And I think a good so idea what? for like a business, right. use what I said before, ask people what they want. And I don't mean like money or like ask them what their goals are. And then just say, what can you do to get there? And then what can I do to help you get there? And right. then they'll fill in those other gaps sure. for themselves. They, but they have, like I keep saying, there's got to be an end state goal. And But then you can do what you want into that. You can work that into, yeah. you can serve both purposes. And I think that's that's how I would do it. But yeah, I don't know and, and all align, it's very difficult. It's very difficult because remember, at least with me, I don't believe you can force intrinsic motivation. You cannot, no. And so we have to go to alignment. We have to go to alignment with the mission. And even in that case, when you're in a job, now we're talking in the private for-profit professional or not-for-profit professional sector, we have people in roles that they're not necessarily aligned. Right. And I think if you could get people to accurately assess how their effort level was that day, they would find out if they were brutally honest with themselves, they might be doing a higher net effort in their after work favorite thing to do than they're doing at their job. Right. And, and that's a whole nother podcast. I have another intensity multiplier 
principle on that one too. But a takeaway is if the employers can figure out how to measure that, not measure that, but get people to do that kind of self-assessment and create that culture, it can be very powerful. I actually just had a thought. Yeah. You were saying assessing or scouting for it during like the hiring process. Sure. Do you guys ever ask them like, not where they work before, but if they've ever played high school sports? It's a standard question for me. That's a In good, fact, I'll just... SQL on resumes. If I don't see high school sports mm -hmm. on there, I'll probably just arrange the stack that way. And yeah, like, that's real controversial. <laughs> no, that's good because you, all the values that we're talking about that you want an employee, yeah. high school sports, military, boys, it's like- uh, look th There's that. organizations and maybe people even watching this podcast or listening to it right now that the hair on the back of their neck just went up when we said that. But it is true. When I sat down at University of Michigan and they were giving parent orientation, they said, how many of your kids played high school sports? And 90% of the room went up their hands. And it's not like you're... And they said that that all else equal, this re admissions woman told us that. And then more recently in the book Grit, I'm going to get her name wrong right now, but the book Grit, that young lady did a bunch of studies with high school kids that showed that kids that play high school sports for two years, and it, two years was a cutoff, are two times more likely to be reach a higher level of success in whatever their endeavor was. Yeah. Now there's plenty of studies in, she did a TED Talk, it'll come to me. But, and that's a really good way to wrap this up is start them early. High student athletes really set up, frankly, in my opinion, all 16 of the intensity multiplier principles, but especially fellowship. You learn so much about it in athletics. No. And I think extracurriculars too. And An extracurricular with a competitive component has the same impact. I think sports has a better, that's a personal opinion. And the best thing about the sports is when I was talking about don't do something just to do it, be like, today we're going to have a fellowship training day. Oh, that then people aren't going to pay attention. No. The best thing about sports, they're learning all of that and they don't even know they're learning it. Exactly. They're, they're, they're just doing it. Like what I said with me and Kim, we're like, oh, like <laughs> if you have that old moment, that means you were probably in the right organization. Yeah. And think of the power to the young man or young woman, if they're introduced to these principles going in. Mm -hmm. how much more they can take out of it. And that's really important. Angela Duckworth. Thank you, Angela Duxworth. Duckworth, thank yep. you. Very good. Very so good. in conclusion, what I'd like to do is just have you two guys spend a minute or two on what your takeaways of today. If you want, you can advise our listener what they might consider based on what we've talked about today. Honestly, it's a good refresher course because it's like, like how many times do me and Q go like, oh yeah, like that. Because just like anything, like leadership's a perishable skill. You can get worse at it. I mean, like, me and Keely have probably gotten it's a like little... like a muscle. Yeah. yeah, we've gotten worse at it probably since we've been out because we just haven't done there. But we have the background, obviously, and stuff. But, like, you got to keep practicing it and then, like, get them started young. You can join the Marine Corps at 17, so <laughs> get your kids in. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, and then for myself, it was definitely... Truthfully, it was actually kind of forgetting that I was reminded of how capable I am. And I think, like, it's one of those things, too, that, like, why it's awesome to see this is because knowing that there are leaders out there that want to implement this kind of stuff because me going into the workforce even just as a counselor working for you know an organization or even opening my own private practice if i have other counselors with me how do i make that work you know and how do i if i have a you know company that i want to work for with an aligned mission life's yep. going to be pretty good oh, excellent well my takeaway i'm absolutely motivated talking to you guys you really help 
fill in some great examples that I never could have come up with on my own with your experience. So that's just outstanding. The other thought I had is I think I might have these guys back. Oh, if yeah. you're willing, oh, we yeah. have oh, so yeah. many different things we can talk about. And it was really fun. You guys did a really good job. And so I really hope that the listener has been able to think of ways that they can handle margin problems, team problems, especially, and then rescue time, meaning that we only get 24 hours in a day. People say, make time, save time. Well, time's constant. So in my view, I think we're rescuing time. And hopefully when your team is gelling like this, when fellowship is really high and you don't have any incompatibility in your team working in there, you can really get a lot more done and get better results. And it really is about results, what we talked about today, the result of which manifests itself in completing the mission. So with that, I want to thank you guys for being with us. I thank you again for your service. It's just outstanding. And I wish you the best of luck. Can't wait to watch you grow as professionals and really look forward to maybe having you back. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you.